Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> no, no, continue on, Nick, like nothing ever happened. It's October the 6th of 2021. It's October, and you know what that means. It means that Chris has mysteriously been teleported away. and He's been replaced. gone. Who knows where they've gone. gone. Uh, but uh, joining me in Chris's stead is the Spookmaster General. Oh, hello. It's always good to be back. And I have a game for us to play. Game. Like Jigsaw, Nick, there's a key buried in your small intestines. <laughs> you have to poop it out by eating a lot of laxatives. Okay, it's not really a I game, have. I'm just mean. <laughs> What's the key to? I don't know, you'll find out. <laughs> it's it's coming right. out one way or the other. I'll be sure to hold on to it when I poop it out, okay? okay. No, for you see, of course... In the ever-expansive Spookmaster General lore, I reside deep within Chris Larios throughout the other 11 months of the year. And as such, I know a ton about my best friend, or their best friend, Nicholas Freeman. But you know nothing about the Spookmaster General. So we shall... I know a few things about you. We shall play Icebreaker Games. I shall answer you, ask you questions, and you must provide the answer. Uh, it doesn't sound so much like Icebreaker as you just forced me to answer questions, but okay. Who is my favorite ninja clan in Naruto? Your favorite ninja clan? Yes! Would it be the Boozumakis? No! Fool! It's the Buchia clan! Oh no! Is that what sound your light switch makes? Doosh, 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 doosh. <laughs> yes, it's very scary. All right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I answered that wrong, Spookmaster General. It's okay. fine. I have nine more to go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll pepper them throughout the episodes as little, uh, little wake-up reminders. Can't I just rip this Band-Aid off? Like, come on. Mm, you can have one more. What's my favorite Led Zeppelin song? I don't know. Scareway to heaven! I don't want to go over and reach the light, but imagine it's flickering right now. Woo! I hate October. Okay. <laughs> it's a so, good game. Say it's a good game. <laughs> good game. So... <laughs> So before the Spookmaster General uh, closed out the episode last week, mm-hmm. uh, they decided to uh, pick out uh, a, a manga for us to discuss. The spooky week. manga. Uh, spooky? Really? The character says boo in it at one point. It counts. That is true. I made specific note of that because I knew that it would have to be brought up. <laughs> but yes, the character goes boo at one point. It's, it, it has nothing to do with, like, terror or anything. They're just going to go, boo, and, you know, mess with a friend or something. Exactly. A spooky manga. Okay, I guess that's what qualifies as spooky <laughs> manga these days. So, the manga in question is called Boys Run the Riot. Uh, this is a series by uh, an author named uh, Keito Gaku, who... Uh, 
is themselves trans masculine and seems to have drawn from life experience to write this manga because it is about a trans masculine protagonist in high school who was very artistic. So I imagine that there's some influence there. Uh, the protagonist of the series is uh, Ryo, who uh, really, really, really dislikes being female bodied and resents being identified as a girl uh, in any context whatsoever, has a lot of anxiety about it, but at the same time is closeted and doesn't have the uh, courage and willpower and really just, you know, is worried about what will happen whenever they try and just straight up come out to people as I'm, you know, a boy. And uh, while dealing with this, Rio runs into a kind new class. It feels weird talking about such a serious topic with a big giant mascot, so I'm just going to remove this real quick. Okay. Carry right. on. Uh, Rio is joined by a new classmate named uh, Jin, who uh, has been held back a year because he doesn't really care about school. Because he's got other plans. Uh, so... It's established that Rio really likes this particular uh, brand of clothing that, you know, sells very, like, baggy uh, stuff. Uh, he really doesn't like wearing clothing that lets people or, you know, anything that makes them seem feminine, he doesn't like wearing. So he ends up wearing uh, very loose clothing. And so as a result of that, he goes into this one brand store that, hey, Gene also likes to frequent. And because they had just met in class, Gene's like, oh, hey, we like the same stuff. We should just, you know, hang out because we have this in common. And as, as a result of this, they get a little bit closer. And then Gene's like, hey, uh, you like clothes and I like clothes and you're cool, good at art and stuff. Let's start a clothing brand together. And they're like, yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And the manga is concurrently about them trying to launch this new, very urban brand while dealing with transgender issues as Ryo tries to uh, come to grips with uh, letting people in on who he is, whether it's by his decision or in some cases, unfortunately, not. Uh, and, you know, the two of them get closer because Jin's just a really laid back guy and he accepts Ryo for who he is because he's a good friend. And that's kind of the vibe that you really get from the series in general. There is definitely a lot of reality and a lot of really harsh, Hey, it's really tough on LGBTQ people in general. Uh, there's a lot more progress that we can make in society. But ultimately, the series takes a very optimistic perspective. There are a lot of people who accept the LGBTQ characters in this series. And ultimately, positivity seems to be winning out over time. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's ultimately sort of... It is a dramatic series. Now, I, I want to clarify before I guess we say anything. Uh, the series is still ongoing. Uh, both, I think Nick and myself both read essentially the first three volumes, which are the volumes that are currently available, uh, translated right now officially. So 
Uh, the series still has a lot of directions and places to go, but it is an interesting look at not just trans youth, but like trans teenage youth and all the complications that kind of come about doing that, where Ryo is going for their first job and he has to kind of deal with essentially outing himself to provincial employers yeah. and the situations that can arise from there. There's implications that his family is not accepting him uh, because there's already sort of a, a perception within his family, at least from his, I believe, older brother, that uh, Rio is lazy and needs to get their shit together. And almost certainly the fact that Rio is trans is going to feel like it's probably going to be used against him at some point by his older brother. It feels like the story is kind of naturally set itself up for. Um, and then there's just small moments of harsh reality of being hit on and, you know, trying to conform to these things. But it's it's not 100% the entirety of the series either. There's also a large focus on just teenage directionlessness and mm -hmm. how to find a place for yourself that can feel like it is thriving in a situation where you have very little control over it a lot of times. These are just two, eventually three people, starting up a fashion brand, and none of them have any experience doing anything. Mm -hmm. They're all amateurs. They're pretty decent at photography and drawing. Um, but, like, their first business meeting, they go in and yell at the guy a whole bunch. Like, they don't know how to do well, anything. Well, you say they. Uh, <laughs> one of them. It's mostly Jin. It's a bit of a loose cannon. <clears throat> he, he has this whole great spiel prepared for the guy, and then the guy doesn't pay them any attention or respect, and he puts it in a way that is harsh but really understandable, which is you you kids are no names who have no you know uh, no success behind you. You have just started up. You've got nothing proven, and you're asking me to help you out. You've got nothing. You're wasting my time. Get the mm. hell out of here. And so Gene immediately breaks down. I was like, well, fuck you too. Then. <laughs> yeah. All right, fuck face. I'm going to fart in your mouth. <laughs> Which causes the guy to faint. Because Gene's yeah. farts are nasty, apparently. I so. mean, whose aren't, you know? Um, But, you know, I, that's like one of the first things we say about Gene. He is actually legitimately like a really likable guy. Mm. Uh, he's a loyal friend. Uh, he is... Just honestly, like a guy that you would want to have your back all the time, really. <laughs> yeah, he's the dude who will stand by you on on pretty much anything. And I do appreciate I feel like and then I'm, I'm my memory might be bad, but I feel like there's also a moment where someone is bad talking Rio behind his back and someone says something to Jin, like, shouldn't you get involved? And Rio's like, that's just going to make things worse for Rio right now. Like, I'm not going to start instigating shit on their behalf and make them a bigger target. He has a cool head when it really counts, which is when his friends are at risk. He mm. has no he uh, one of the first things that Rio observes about him is that he seems to have no shame. It's one of the reasons that he's kind of drawn to him is that, oh, man, you know, this guy can just, you know, do whatever. You know, he doesn't care that he's, you know, been held back a year. He doesn't care about any of this stuff. And. And at one point that caused him to also resent him very early on because, you know, he gets he the thing that um, gets him is that 
uh, Jin's friends from the next year up that he used to be classmates with start talking about the two of them, and they're like, "Oh, are you just trying? Are you just trying to get with her? Are you are you two going out?" And Rio hates that because any it's one of the reasons that he is closeted is that uh, he used to when he was young be able to hang out with his guy friends from lower classes, but in typical weird teenage rules kind of thing. Uh, and I would assume that this is more predominant in Japanese culture than it is over here. Uh, guys and girls can't really be friends as easily as with the same sex. And so his friends just told him, like, you've got to stop hanging out with us because people are talking about us and stuff. And so the same thing happens and Rio gets really pissed off about, about it with Jin involved. And Jin's like, Hey, Hey, what the hell's the problem? And Rio's like, you don't understand what it's like. Nothing can happen to you that makes you feel like you can't be yourself, but I can't be myself. And that's when he you know, explodes out and says, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy. I know that I look like a girl, but I'm really a guy. And Jin just says, Oh, is that it? Why didn't you tell me? And I mean, obvious. There are obvious reasons yeah. why he didn't say so, but that is just the kind of attitude that Gene has, which is okay. Now that you've told me, yeah, I will never understand how you feel about yourself, and I can never hope to do that if you don't tell me. So, you know, if we're friends, then you know, just feel free to tell me and and all that stuff. And it really deepens their friendship. And after that point is when. Rio decides to really take his suggestion that they make a, a clothing brand together seriously. And they really throw themselves into it because, Hey, there's this person who accepts Rio for who he is. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting in that way. Um, there's also just the dynamic of how their business works where, because they're all such good friends and not really per se interested in the money, they're constantly making decisions that put the business backwards because mm -hmm. they don't want it to be that way. They make a bunch of sales at one point and then they realize they don't like the way those sales came about. So they're like, we're just not going to do any, we're not going to fulfill any of those orders and give all the money back essentially. So you're like, okay, this business is still at like two sales total. And I don't know why, but it's the sweetest and, fucking moment. One of them that, was one of the guy's dads. <laughs> that's the sweetest fucking moment though. when it's just like, Oh yeah, your dad bought one. Like, Oh, uh, Itsuka is uh, the their cameraman after they meet him early on, and uh, he deals with stupid teenage bullying uh, on a in a very different way than Rio does. Um, he's just kind of like falls in line with the with the cool kids, the in crowd. But as a result of that, he can't do what he's really passionate about, which is just photography. He's like the only member of the photography club. The, and uh, the club's sponsor is constantly telling him, like, I don't have time to waste on you if you're the only member and stuff. So he can't do what he wants to he, do. He very, pretty specifically is like, look, I'm only doing this to you as a favor. Like, you're not, we're not, this isn't actually a club. I'm not entering you into contests and shit like that. I also coach the basketball team. Like, you're just a side thing here. Yeah. I'm I doing you a do. favor. <laughs> Child. <laughs> Imagine a teacher doing a favor for a student. What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, 
But the two of them are like, hey, you know, we want to hire you because we don't know what the hell we're doing. We don't know how to advertise the clothes that we're making. So, you know, we wanted, you know, to hire you for your services. And because they take him seriously, he, you know, joins up with them because they actually respect what he wants to do. Um, and so, yeah, the three of them get into stuff. And Itsuga's dad, who... Uh, apparently his life was ruined because he tried to pursue a career as a photographer doggedly until he just burned out after not being able to find success. Uh, it's it, he bizarrely enough, despite Itsuka's perception of him, is just really supportive of his son doing this stuff. He's like, yeah, go have fun. And so, yeah, when they make it, when they make a company, they sell three shirts initially uh, one of the, which they can't figure out who for a while. One of which was a bunch of like drunk college kids who thought it was just funny, and one of which is Itsuka's dad. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, there's I want to help of, my little boy out." There's a lot of really nice, positive, supportive people and relationships in this. Um. There's a really nice scene with, uh, involving the guy who bought the initial T-shirt uh, because it has to do with his cousin who I don't want to get into every single aspect of this, but he also is an LGBTQ character who has a very different outlook on things than Rio does. And he has a bit of a crisis of identity, uh, basically in a recent up to the part that we read part of the series. And he feels like he's going to push this guy away and he's just like, oh, no, when I found out, like, you know, that you were gay, I did a bunch of research so that I would understand you better. And it's this kind of constant back and forth that you see where, yeah, there are people who are not going to understand uh, if someone is trans, if someone is gay, if someone is bisexual, if someone is gender fluid. Uh, all the different sexualities and gender identities uh, that are quote unquote, not the right one, not the normal one, not what people are used to. Uh, but the thing that the series operates under in terms of its outlook, I forget who says it, but I think it is said person who says he did the research and stuff is yeah, there are going to be people who don't understand, but I think that people do want to understand, or most people do at least. And that is more optimistic overall than I am, but I do want to believe that, mm -hmm. that people do want to understand things better. And if people did understand things more, then there would be a lot less uh, difficulty that LGBTQ people face. Because in addition to the actual hatred that a lot of people unfortunately feel towards those groups, that is really bolstered by people's lack of knowledge about the subject because the less people understand something, the less that they can care about it. Yeah. There's, I think a good amount of interesting exploration of queer identities throughout this series that have occurred so far. Um, the one character we kind of haven't really talked about, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Wing, who is sort of like a YouTuber. I won't go into the, the full detail of their character, but I will say they are a character who starts off one way 
and a lot of their character arc is the exploration of how your identity can change and shift over time and mm-hmm. the various feelings that come along with that the feelings of like guilt and shame and this sort of even a sense of like betrayal at certain points and i thought it was a very interesting exploration um and it was it was much appreciated it is amusing to me because uh a, a like large part of that character's backstory is their cousin giving them a candy bar at one point and like yeah. to wake them up in the present Jin hands the character a candy bar and it's so hard not to be like wing you're not yourself when you're hungry eat a snickers <laughs> it's it's because they legitimately like they eat a candy bar and immediately like <laughs> they start figuring things out <laughs> like i just wish for that one moment wing was played by danny devito it's just like you get crazy when you're hungry eat the snickers <laughs> um <laughs> But what I, an interesting casting choice that'd be for so much of this series. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid, I want you to make a clothing brand with me. <laughs> I accidentally outed you online. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I laughed. <laughs> um, and I, I do appreciate there's, as you said, this is mostly a positive story, but it is dramatic. There are characters and relationships that happen that are um traumatic to to rio and can be scary but usually in every single one of those scenarios there is another character present who is supportive of them so for example rio eventually gets a job working at sort of like a night bar and one of his employee or fellow fellow co-workers is someone that they kind of have strife like there's there's a conflict between them and then another one of them is someone who seems to be very supportive and, and is trying to kind of better understand him and, and reach some kind of middle ground. So it, it, it's an interesting exploration. I will say it's not as heavy. Uh, the second volume does end with Rio getting outed in a YouTube video, mm-hmm. which is horrifying to even think about. I uh, said... Like I said, oh shit, multiple times while while reading this, and yeah, when that happened, I I literally put my hands on my head, like no, no, <laughs> you can't do that, no. It's uh, go f- continue your thought, please. Uh, I, I I honestly I, the ADD kind of slid in and please. and killed me, but uh, basically, I'll say there are moments that are going to be like, oh my gosh, you're you're worried for these characters, but I will say, it is not an overwhelmingly depressing ride, which was one thing I always kind of worry about. Uh, there's sort of a notion that a lot of marginalized groups, when they have stories told are stories, mostly told about um, the trauma that they are inflicted upon. And they are very sad stories. I will say this one seems to be an up, like a, an optimistic story about discovering yourself, not just with your identity, uh, but also through your passions as well. So I will say that, I'm I'm actually pretty excited to continue reading this series. I am as well. Uh, as we said, there are three volumes of the series um, currently out in English. It's uh, published by Kodansha and thus through is available through all of the sources that you can normally find English uh, language Kodansha books. Mm-hmm. Which it's like on Penguin Books and. Look, Kodansha gets published on a lot of different websites. So I was gonna say, look, look for Boys Run the Riot, <laughs> and you will find a billion outlets where it, that will sell it. So, 
Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot there. It was amusing. This is the first time I've read because I read these digitally, and it's it was somewhat amusing to me because I haven't read a volume that actually at the end of it includes ads for other manga yeah. in a very long time. Like not since I collected physical volumes because most digital ones don't have it. So it was like this weird nostalgia being like, ooh, a new volume of Magic Earth Ray Knights coming out. <laughs> is it new though? <laughs> <laughs> new to us. Uh. If I had to look for something to be critical of involving this series, I would say that some of the characterization is very blunt and some of the characters are not very complex. But that that said, uh, I think that pretty much every character has a reason for being there. And maybe they aren't very subtle, but they hit hard and they're easy to get behind, whether they're, you know, a character that fulfills like, you know, telling us a certain type of experience uh, with coming to grips with being a youth going through something difficult, whether it's being someone who supports them or whether it's someone who provides an antagonistic force. There is one character who is apparently just, just there to spit out like troll comments that Mm. are transphobic and homophobic and stuff like that. And he gets shut down in a really satisfying way. And yes, I know that that's probably not how that would unfold in real life, but I don't fucking care. Fuck that guy. (laughs) He got what he deserved. Um, The way that certain things are told visually is also incredibly striking. Rio is an artist and Mm. some of the Mm. uh, paintings that he does are incredibly striking uh, because partially uh, the style that they are drawn in, it's so realistic. And this series is, you know, a little bit kind of stretchy and a little bit car- and a little bit cartoonish. Mm-hmm. So it's more striking than if you were to see the art that he draws in the context of real life. Uh, there are some scenes that are just incredibly striking in the way that they're portrayed very dramatically. Uh, there is a scene where I felt myself tighten up because one character holds another character's hand. And what unfolds from that point is just done incredibly well because uh, the dialogue gets covered up by narration boxes and it communicates the idea that this person's not even hearing what the person's actually saying because of the thoughts that are racing through their head. It communicates that stuff very well. So this is not just an incredibly important series because there is unfortunately not nearly enough LGBTQ representation in the medium that we choose to cover on this podcast. And this was a great and positive example of it, but also it's just a very well done series that is uh, striking, it's humorous, it's dramatic, and it's scary sometimes. Scary? So, yes, it's scary <laughs> sometimes. In a Much a, like a, the Spookmaster General! Yeah, sure. Um, there might still be a werewolf in it, we don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this was immediately one of my one of my favorite manga that we've covered so far this year and i cannot recommend it enough so i mentioned yes. that i'm like deliberately picking really good manga this year to make it super painful for when we do the top three of the year 
<laughs> and that's the scariest thing at all. <laughs> you have to pick between a lot of classics. Modern and old. Uh, before we get off of the topic of recommendations, I will tell people that I actually have two options for a recommendation for what we're going to talk about next week. I won't tell you what they are. However, I will give people a chance to vote on them. <gasps> so in the chat right now, and I will do it again at the end of the episode, if you would like to see a scary story for the spooktacular month of October, say spooky, or if you would like to continue the sudden pride theme that we seem to put, apparently be departing on, say, you know, LGBT LGBTQ like month. And uh, we can do like a straw poll of that and then we can do uh, not like a literal straw poll thing. I just want to look at the chat and stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm too lazy to set one up. Uh, that's why I said it out loud. Uh, and then we'll do it again at the end of the episode, and uh, I'll figure out, based on both of those, what we're going to do. Okay. Now, an important question, Nick. What is my favorite Canadian province? Um, uh, Newfoundland? Boofendland! Yes. Ooh! <laughs> Uh. <laughs> We're back, baby. Okay. Why are y'all saying both? I didn't choose one that's both. <laughs> to my knowledge, maybe one of them is both. There could be a werewolf in both of them. We don't know. Or, you know, the werewolf in one could be gay. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be progressive as well. Yeah, I guess so. Uh,. <laughs> You're saying a lot of things this this episode that that just kind of be going. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Technically, Spookmaster General, I suppose, but you're walking a fine line. All right, uh, let's move on from there to talk about the weekly chapters of the week, as opposed to the weekly chapters not of the week. So. We're gonna start things off with my hero academia. Wee! It's chapter number. It's chapter number three hundred twenty-eight. No man is an island. Uh, ex excuse me. A Rixmithy's the slumbering isle from Magic the Gathering is a gigantic kraken that functions as an island. So I do believe there is one man who is an island, and he is a twelve-twelve that you have to put counters on, and it's it's kind of complicated. But I, I want them to be respected. So the Kraken is male, is what you're saying. I have no idea, but it is an island. And I want that to be acknowledged. It's a giant island that swims around, and it's a 12-12. It's also a land. <laughs> the detail of that swims around. <laughs> well, you can see it in the art. It's like a little dude. He's like swimming around. I, I'm just like thinking to myself, like the literal car like swims around the playing field. <laughs> yeah, I would do that. That's how I play the game. I have a dude, I have Brian Stoudarv. His whole thing is flinging monsters. When I throw a monster at somebody, I actually take the card and I'm like, eh. Like playing with, a, with an eight-year-old. <laughs> I assumed everyone loved it. It's like when I would play with like my little sibling when we were first getting into Yu-Gi-Oh! And they would be, be like, Mammoth Graveyard, it guards the graveyard. It's like, that's 
it's just a flavored text. You do what you want, I guess. <laughs> no, that's what it says. And I watched a show. I attack the moon and destroy the waves. All your sea monsters are exposed. Go, Dark Magician. Blow up all the sea monsters. You know what? I guess that this is not your fault. <laughs> also, it was Curse of Dragon that blew up all the all the sea monsters. That's what you tell them to shut them down? Like, hey, you big dummy. Curse of Dragon did it. You, you watched the show. You take the cards away from them. And then, like, Kaiba, you rip them up or you throw them out the <laughs> like a window into the ocean. I mean, I was like 13 when this happened. I might have done that. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We begin this chapter in a flashback to uh, when um, the Tartarus jailbreak was happening. So we we see um, a bad person running around talking about abducting women. And Stain has a shiv and cuts his throat and kills him. Very necessary scene. I guess it's a way to show Stain is a moral person. But I also think he was just going to kill anybody who rounded that corner. So I guess it's just a way for you to not feel bad that he killed uh, somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> like the, the local priest who comes to try and absolve the prisoners coming. Out, oh, I have to get away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This dude could have definitely been like, I have to get back to the children's hospital to do the pageant for all the sick children. <laughs> you call yourself a hero. <laughs> you don't deserve to. <laughs> you barely ever wear a cape. <laughs> I do have one in the pageant, though. <laughs> well, now I it's feel bad. Pumped. It's part of the costume that the tiniest orphans made for me using their own tears. Well, I have no tear ducts, so I can't cry any tears for you, dead old man. <laughs> Great hero stayed away. Yeah, well, you're not All Might, so it sucks to suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's try being All Might sometime, dickhead. <laughs> uh, so this happens stain immediately realizes that uh something big is happening and so he needs to gather information he goes into a security room actually probably the same security room that we saw when the jailbreak was happening and there is a guard who has let go of his machine gun in order to instead clutch something between his arms and so stain realizes that this must be very very important and uh so but, however, Stain reaches for it, and the guard goes, Why grab this and not a weapon? And Stain's just like, I require information. And the guard immediately identifies him and realizes, Wait a minute, you worked with Shigaraki. No, I can't give this to you. And so Stain's like, Okay, so it's important then. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Yoink. Mine. So he takes it, and the guard says, Ugh! killer drop it it's gotta reach the right people must do my duty and he's got the gun leveled at stain but he seems to be wasting time on going ah, instead of you know shooting him he doesn't know how to use a gun that's the twist of this scene he was handed <laughs> one and they were like you know how to use this right and he was like sure i do and he just hoped for years it would never be a thing it's like, look, I'm just the programmer. I don't need to know how to do this, right? He, he actually just stocks the candy machines. I don't know why they give him a whole uniform and everything. <laughs> He's like, make sure those boxes get back to Frito's Lays. The free. They've got to reduce their losses. <laughs> the Cheetos were already full. Bring back the extra Cheetos. Do you have any idea how valuable the cheese dust is? 
worth its weight in gold. And not hot. villains are not allowed to enjoy their crispy crunchiness. <laughs> Actually, I've always preferred puffs. You monster! Oh, you god, I'll stab you in hell, you fiend! So yeah, Stain kills that dude, and uh, well, doesn't kill him. No, he just, just lets stuff collapse on him. <laughs> he's just, yeah. Well, Nick, let's go back to the age-old question. Did Batman really kill Ra's al Ghul? Like, he didn't have to save yes. him, but, but the action of yes. not saving him is just he killing him, him, right? <laughs> he killed him. Ah, <laughs> uh, found a loophole. That's what Batman's all about. <laughs> that, that's what my code of justice should be based on. Ticky-tack rules. Oh, uh, I didn't drive the train and blow you up. That was you. Oh, God. So, um, Stain just lets the guy die as the room collapses, and then he says, I'm merely an ally to the world as it should be, but a beast all the same. And so he leaves. He sticks around long enough to witness all for one, doing a whole, I am your savior thing on a big pile of rubble. And then he narrates to himself while watching this, that nameless man guarded this data to his dying breath, which is a, a detail that I find hilarious because that man wasn't nameless. You just didn't bother to find out what his <laughs> name was. <laughs> that nameless man. My name is Chet. We shall never know his identity. Chet Morehauser. Tell the people. I must deliver the important information to the people that matters to. <laughs> Oh, my wife and five children, one of whom has inherited the will of a... <laughs> one of them's also in a hospital. He's a child, really looking forward to a priest who's about to do a Christmas pageant. <laughs> Assuming he's okay. He's going to have a great Christmas despite his dad dying. Also, that priest is, by the way, as it so happens, immune to every type of damage except getting his throat cut. So if you just guard him from that specific type of attack, then I'm sure that he'll make it. If, if you don't just inflict it upon him yourself, he'll be okay. Uh, so Stain is just, you know, being a crazy guy and saying, I will deliver this to the person who has earned my trust. Uh... Because everything began with you, All Might, obviously. And, of course, All Might did the responsible thing, made sure the intel got to Sukauchi and company so that they could use it. Sukauchi seems to uh, be getting a little bit uh, more rugged, because I'm pretty sure he was clean-shaven before. Hey, so. It's been a rough time, you know? Yeah. He's got to hang out with Cat Cop, who, you know, has a lot going on. But... <laughs> You know, every so often people, every time a sniper comes out, they have to resist the urge to jump into the line of fire because the little red dot like comes out. They're like, ooh. <laughs> Tsukauchi, I don't understand. What, what, what's, what, what's the beer? Oh, I haven't had time to shave. But you've shaved everywhere except that very... Wouldn't it take longer for you to shave that way than to not shave all... No. Naturally goes in this pattern. <laughs> shut up. Shut up all my... Yeah, well, I just want to look cool, okay? I'm not gonna take it from somebody who can't grow any facial hair. F you, All Might. All Might's <laughs> like, fuck you. That was kind of personal. I'll just check it on your well-being. Okay, so let's move on from there. All oh, right, there's the entire rest of the chapter. They talk about stuff, and there's like info dumping and stuff, and I don't know. Um, the cat cop's name is Sansa. Yeah. 
that's you know yeah. like everyone's favorite uh uh direwolf person what the name's their family yeah. stark there you go got it it all came back to me <laughs> cool uh all what uh, all might happen says that uh the piece of all of one's consciousness inside his quirk works as a conduit for sharing thoughts and I have experienced the same phenomenon with one for all. But the problem is that it isn't a two-way channel. So he explains the vestige of one for all, the vestige of me rather than one for all, has access to my thoughts, but I don't have any access to its thoughts. Except when I touched Deku, or whenever I was close enough to touch him, whatever my vestige was thinking and feeling kind of flowed into me, sort of. So... If we suppose that all for one can sing to a greater degree than one for all, do we really believe that his real body locked up 500 meters below sea level could receive such specific thoughts from the Vestas in Shigaraki? Okay. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. So when I first read this chapter, I got to this exact page and I was like, too many words and i just stopped reading i skipped it i came back to it like four hours later and then i got to this exact page again and i was like god damn it i know i've been here before but it's still so many goddamn words and after finally reading i was like there was a lot of words for very little information <laughs> the thing is that shigaraki had established that he could use radio waves to issue commands to the nomu and as it turns out those radio waves also connected him and all for one and therefore allowed the synchronicity to be more in tune than, you know, having to be in the same room for that to take effect. And so they intercepted a radio message via this, which is how they were able to realize that there was a message that went out, which was make him complete in 38 days. And this cuts their time frame shorter than they had thought because what they had been researching before made, th made them believe that they would have two months before uh, All for One would basically be fully capable of using Shigaraki as a vessel. Uh, however, on this new timetable, based off of when that battle and that message went out, took place, they instead have three days. So, hey, the timetable's moving up. Uh-oh. That's that's what all that information yeah. is, is for. Is just to tell you this is how we know this. It's really not important yet. Maybe it will become up in a different form. Like, oh, we're still intercepting radio messages and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's just this is the timetable's moved up. That's it. So <laughs> we cut to the UN building. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we see that there is a conference taking place between different ambassadors and representatives uh, who are trying to get international help to Japan to deal with this grand crisis. And the representatives from different nations are saying, yeah, we can't really do anything because yes, these are very, very exceptional times, but this is, if this is going to be an international instant, then we act, it will at least take, you know, days in order for us to actually send someone to help out. We can't just do it. Uh, and we see stereotypes. Uh, <laughs> the Egyptian hero, an Egyptian hieroglyph man. I forget. They actually named this like Papyrus or something like that. And their power. Salam. Salam, is that it? Yeah, they're like powers, Papyrus. They're basically a two-dimensional hero. 
I forget what they revealed these ones for, like a movie or something like that. Possibly. I mean, they're, the the new movie, it does take place in, like, Europe, I think. So, Like Spider-Man No Way or Far From Home. Yes. Mysterio, Nick. He's the best. Yeah, it was half of a good movie. Um, <laughs> and half it, of a really good movie. Yeah, and then but. the other half makes you question why you sat in the theater to get to that point. <laughs> uh, also, there's this lion-looking guy called Big Red Dot. Which I don't really see the connection, but okay. Unless I, he chases the big red dot. <laughs> I assume he's the British here, and he's like, Oi, where's a hero? Big red dot. What's the dot? I don't know. Boy, he's a big lion. And then we <laughs> learn from the American UN representative that, uh, so our number one hero's already left. Because she just decided not to wait anymore and just skipped out and flew oh, away. Oh, people say it's Singapore because it's referred to as Little Red Dot on the map. Thank you. Floking around and Tedder alive, too. Okay, then. And so I just thought he was British because lions are on their flags and shit, I feel like. But I might just be thinking of fictional nations in things that are most supposed to be representative of England. It may have been in like a Yu-Gi-Oh game with like the fictional England kingdom or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's all the same, right? All right. <laughs> Nick, who's the new hero we get and introduced so we are... to? Uh, girl might. <laughs> look, her hair and eyes look exactly like all mites. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's um, the America's number one hero. So she's going to be drawn in American comic book style. Uh, I can't Much think like of a, I can't think of a single comic book character who looks like this. Uh, her name is Star and Stripe, which is yeah okay. If you're gonna go for America the hero, not bad. So I hate it. I was like, doesn't make sense. What she represents one state and one original colony. Why is it not stars and stripes? Because she's only one person. But she, but she's named after the flag, and the flag. Everything means something. I like to think she just represents like North Dakota. And she's just like, fuck <laughs> all the other states. <laughs> she only People solves like, problems that go on there. But North Dakota's not one of the original colonies. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something a scummy non North Dakotan would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we call you the others. <laughs> she's like, picked up Mount Rushmore and just moved it one state over. <laughs> it's ours now. Whoops, and flies away. All the monuments are ours now. She's just, just Carmen Sandiego. She just starts stealing national <laughs> monuments and bringing them to North and Dakota so someone feels like there's a reason to go there. And now I'm taking the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you just left a bigger Grand Canyon. Shut up. <laughs> I'll take that tomorrow then. <laughs> Eventually just like the entire continental United States is gone except for North Dakota. <laughs> now no one can go anywhere but here. So, going all the way up into the into the stratosphere. <laughs> just pile on top of just the giant canyons. Uh, oh god. Yep. So Star and Stripe, American hero, apparently some sort of student of All Might's, which makes sense because he trained in America at one point. Okay. 
It's I guess very... we need another heavy hitter. So yeah, well, I mean, I don't. There's some people who are like, this feels like a giant waste. Uh, you know, who cares about this character? I'm not quite at that point because I'm just like, I don't know. Let's wait and see. Maybe this character is going to be super relevant, or maybe she won't be. I have no idea what to expect from the finale of this series because. It could be over in a month, or it could be over in three years. I have no idea what the end game is really going to look like. Three days, <laughs> so it'll be done halfway through. Oh wait, okay. So the last chapters come out. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's already done. Uh, Nick, before we move on, the Spookmaster General wants you to guess what is my favorite MLB team. Is it the Yankees? No, it's the Milwaukee Brewers. I would have also accepted the Baltimore Orioles. There's so many. <laughs> Never mind. How dare you talk disrespectfully to my favorite baseball teams? I love all of them. Now, don't make me name a player for either of them, because that would be rude. Not in my month. <laughs> oh, man. It sure was great when Orioles pitcher Shmiggy Shmagakuten <laughs> got that no-hitter last week, huh? That Japanese guy is on one of those teams, I think. Oh, he's not. That's all the baseball I know. Mike but Piazza's not on. still playing, is he? <laughs> he wasn't on either of those teams either. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> I like how you said he's on one of those teams or not, just so you could cover all your bases. Hey, so. <laughs> no, the only puns we make during Halloween month are spooky puns, <laughs> not regular puns. I guess let's talk about Undead Unlock. Let's talk about Undead Unlock number 81. One on one. Or should I say bone on bone? Doesn't work phonetically, but if you just read it, if you saw it, it would make a lot more sense. What bone collection was last year? Let's get off. Those, so. <laughs> it came back. You can buy volumes of it now. <laughs> uh, so last time, Fuko. Or should I say Fuko? Bring, bring it Bring it back so that P-P-P-P-P-P will no longer have the worst art. <laughs> uh, Fuko is climbing up the tower and Andy is squaring off against Billy. And... Uh, Andy starts by stabbing his fingers into Billy's eyes to blind him, which is very metal. <laughs> Just bowling balls him. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, uh, not Rebecca, sorry. This is an important female character. Fuko uh, kicks the sword over to Andy so he can have a fight against uh, Billy. Billy uses unbalance and topples a whole bunch of buildings down on top of Andy. It's real scary. And uh, Andy survives the crash by just saying, that's one fine battle ability you got there. Uh, and he's like, hmm, there's no way he just sat here and got squashed, though. So maybe he ran away with Unstoppable. And in that moment, Andy's arm starts turning into a spring tree because he got touched by one of the petals. So he's like, ah, it was just a distraction to get me touched by one of the petals. Well, that's fine. I'll just cut that arm off and splay blood all over all the petals. That way they won't be directly touching me. Uh, and in that moment, uh, Billy runs in using Unstoppable grabs Andy, does the same thing to him, blinds him with two fingers in the eyes, and then just drags him across the city street with Unstoppable. Uh, it is pretty awesome. Andy has to dodge this attack by basically uh, create a giant blade out of his missing torso, 
and uses a Claymore attack, which manages to cut off one of Billy's arms, although it just comes back because he has undead right now. Uh, but Andy just thinks, not bad, I'm starting to figure out his abilities. Currently, the amount he can use, by my count, is six. He's using Unstoppable, Unbalance, Unmove, Undead, his own ability, un whatever that might be, but he's not using Unjustice, so maybe he's not using that. What is the sixth ability he's basically using? And the imagery for it shows six lights in the round of, like, a pistol, which would make sense because Billy has a cowboy gimmick to him. So perhaps his ability is like a six-shooter, and he has to uh, reload it with abilities. Yeah. So he's like, all right, he did something, whatever he used to levitate. That's the last ability he had. And that's all he can use. So he's not using in battle. Maybe it was just a movement thing. I'll try to kill him before he can start using unmove again. So he stabs himself, does a repair boost, spine sheath, slashes, and there's a giant attack. And Andy's like, oops, maybe I let too much blood rip. Oh, well, time to claim the traitor's head. But then he's like, wait a minute. This sensation is unmove. I'm being stopped front and center. Is he standing right in front of me? How? He was at the slash's range. And Billy is there floating in the air saying, this was going to be my ace in the hold to subdue you while you were off your guard. And Andy's like, ah, that's not a floating ability at all. That ability, his sixth ability is unchange. As Billy remarks that this is the only ability that was able to catch him before, unchange. So uh, there's a brief moment thinking back to whatever her name was. I've forgotten. Uh, Gina. Gina. Uh, and there's a moment of Andy just being like, oh, thanks, Gina, because he thinks back to how he kind of got away from her at one point. And we see the giant crack going down Andy's skin, starting with like his ear and down his body. And Billy's like, or uh, Andy's like, unmove and unchange or only stop me from the front, which means all I got to do is take the part that's getting stopped and rip it off. <laughs> and he just rips off this front layer of skin and hides behind it to block unmove and unchange. And he says, well, let's bring in some change, Billy. It's uh, bizarrely comedic for such a <laughs> gruesome fucking thing that he does. It is fucking vicious. Also, he did that to his own dick. So uh, yeah, 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 he ripped off all that, you know. But I'm sure he's used to it. Yeah, this is pretty badass. Uh, this is just a really smooth chapter. Uh, you know, gets the idea across of like, okay, you know, he's figured out these abilities, and he thinks like, okay, I think I can beat him. And then, oh shit, he uses this thing that you know, of course, Andy has never been able to beat before, but. He has figured out a way to deal with it, and he does it in an incredibly gross manner. So, it's, I I thought this was good. It's so, yes. very hardcore. The action was great. I love how just brutal the fight scene can get because both characters have undead, so you can do as just vicious stuff to them, and it's fine because they'll just regenerate. Uh, and I also love the little bit of a sneak peek into Billy's abilities that we're slowly starting to get. It's starting, like, the the details are starting to become a little bit more clear on how he works. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Let's uh, talk about uh, Kaiju. Kaiju! Uh, and they don't all have to be good ones. <laughs> Kikoru has, has, of course, re- 
we got a flashback to explain her resolve, why, why she's trying to follow in her mother's footsteps and protect everyone because she, you know, let her mother down when she was eight. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she goes after Kaiju number nine and goes to strike a big blow, but Kaiju number nine just summons this huge swarm of exploding things under her feet uh, by basically just sacrificing the ant platform that he's growing out of. And so everyone's like, oh, shit, you know, she can't, you know, stand. It's going to blow up under her. But Kafka comes in at that point and trips up the ant uh, so that it kind of topples over and doesn't blow up immediately under Kikaru. Kikaru uses her axe and uses uh, Dharma Dropper, a new, a new technique we haven't seen her use before, which just completely carves up Kaiju number nine into about six layers uh, cutting through it horizontally. And she signals over to Kafka because, of course, this is his chance. Now that Kaiju number nine clearly can't disable his his Kaiju transformation powers at this point. And so Kafka's like, all right, time to do it. I can seal the deal right here. But as he goes to do so, he just gets this vision of this huge, monstrous creature emerging behind him, seemingly the true form of Kaiju number eight. And then he experiences a vision of himself in the full monster form he used against Isao, goring Kikoru through the stomach uh, and viciously killing her. And it, the scene that is apparently unfolded in this vision of him going berserk as Kaiju number eight, uh, he's killed apparently everyone close to him. Uh, it looks like uh, Mina is there. It looks it looks like, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten. I've forgotten his buddy's name. Uh, Reno. Yes. One of the yes. characters. Yeah. Pretty much everyone that he has had, had any ties to is just kind of laying around him in corpses. And then the transformation disperses and it just leaves Kafka with his hands covered in his friend's blood. And so, of course, the transformation fails. And it turns out it wasn't Kaiju number nine after all. It was just Kafka not wanting to kill anyone and having a mental block about the transformation process. Uh, unfortunately, this leaves uh, both him and Kikaru in a big bind uh, as more exploding bullets go off as Kaiju number nine just immediately recovers and makes more attacks. Uh, Kafka is wounded by several bullets going into his body and Kikaru's axe is just completely shattered. Yay. Yeah. It's Black fine. It's it'll be fine. They can fix it, mm -hmm. make it better, add a jetpack to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's gonna have a jetpack axe. A, a jetpacks? Cool. Yeah. Uh so Kafka just, you know, admits out loud like oh, it's fear of being absorbed by a kaiju and killing my comrades. And Kikoru has the best response to this, which is well, that's it. Don't fucking insult me like that. <laughs> and her axe is broken. She's bleeding from various places. Her nose is bleeding. And she just pulls out a pistol and aims it at Kaiju number nine and goes after it and keeps on fighting. And she shouts back to Kafka. She does so. Hey, and don't. it's not just me that you're insulting. It also goes for Captain Ashiro and Vice Captain Hoshina and Reno and all of our squad mates. And above all, you yourself. How dare you? Don't insult the defense force like that. And Kafka realizes, yeah, I guess I have been a big dummy because everyone in the defense force is really awesome. So I don't have to worry about going crazy and killing them all. Even though he's 
kind of proven that he would probably at his peak be stronger than any of them. But mm. the point is, he's got to have faith in his comrades. And so he thinks to himself, yeah, she's so strong and so cool. There's no way I could kill her. I've got to believe in my team. And he goes Super Saiyan. <laughs> and Kikaru comments as Kafka transforms into Kaiju number eight. You are never on time. Hey, transformed. You did it. Yeah, I like the line at the end. That's pretty cool. Um, as for the rest of the chapter, it's very good, um, but very basic is the way I would describe mm -hmm. it. This is uh, a well-executed trope, but it is pretty much a by-the-books trope as well. Yeah, not really any any interesting twists to it. It just, like, is there any particular reason why this happens? Like, he was afraid to transform, and that's it. Uh, the visuals are quite nice, and I think that it is paced well. And I do like the way that Kikaru is just like, Hey, fuck you. We're, we're we're way too good for you to kill us, but yeah. that's about it. So now, okay. Nick, before we talk about Eden Zero, I want to know: Do you know who my favorite host of the Tonight Show is? No, I don't actually. Conan O'Brien. Now I'm gonna do the string dads. <laughs> Spooky the spooky string dance. Are the strings there? Are we no not strings? Are we all not just marionettes, Mary Boonettes? Boom, got it, got there anyway. Now we can talk about Eden Zero. You could have said scarionettes, but you didn't. Could have, but I didn't. No, you didn't. I just so take I what you say. And I say it in a slightly different tone, and then it makes it sound like I had the high ground. <laughs> I could have, Nick, but I didn't. And I clap, and I get you out of here. I'm like, done. <laughs> All right. See, I always have the last word when I have the lever next to me that sends you off <laughs> on stage. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to hang up with Nick. <laughs> you want to re-enter the call after I get my round of applause after from everybody. <laughs> Oh, no, Nick disconnected. I guess that everyone could just applaud me now. Yeah, yeah everyone's like, whoa, go Chris. Uh, all right, let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter 160, Boo, Ziggy versus Nehru. Now, Nick, it is worth noting that Eden Zero only uses fetish gear whenever it's to make a villain look awful, or sometimes in an unrelated way on the cover page. Um, unless maybe Rebecca is a slave cat girl to the floating cubes behind her, and we are meant to hate them going forward we shall see maybe there'll be an ongoing story I put my glasses on this way maybe it'll look like a monocle there you go you look very wise like that let's both look smart i'll put on my top hat there we go and now we're ready to talk fancy about eden zero so last time top hat that actually works together with the headphones somehow <laughs> somehow uh so last time bob lucci was taken out fabiano has been taken out two of the dark stars have been taken out but they're not even featured in this page but they're also down so ziggy and nero are gonna have a fight and ziggy just starts crushing things with gravity and nero is like 
The planet on which I stand may perish. My empire may cease to exist, but you will never defeat me. Uh, And he uses the dice in the way we always assumed we would. By shooting them like missiles through through Ziggy. Um, And Nero, or sorry, Ziggy, tries to use his gravity on the dice. And they go back and shoot him. And he's like, ah, your dice aren't affected by my gravity. (laughs) And uh, Nero explains that the Empire dice are not a ranged weapon. They are a relic that assures victory. And so he's like, those. Yeah, but but you're using using them as a ranged weapon, though. But they're not a ranged weapon, though, is what he's saying. But you use them as a ranged weapon. (laughs) Now, if we're going to be particular about this, are they being used in a ranged way? Yes. Are they being used as a weapon? Obviously. Would they be considered a ranged weapon? Totally. Is it a ranged weapon? Absolutely not. They're relics that assure his victory. <laughs> um, so Ziggy's like, those dice come from Mother. This is presumably our introduction to these things you know, now. You know what? Actually, sorry. The fact that he's, that he's wielding dice and different kinds of sided dice, uh, as you, one would see in like tabletop gaming, makes me think this. The, the explanation here is exactly like how someone would try and use this relic with like a weapon roll for damage, but then say, no, 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 you can't use the disarm technique on me because it's not a weapon. See, yeah, <laughs> I just get to use weapon rolls for damage. Yeah, it's very different. I figured out a Reddit build and <laughs> now I do 200 damage a turn at level one. Um, he just notes, yes, uh, the dice are one of these relics. I simply obey the eyes of the dice and I will always triumph. My victories come at a price, though. The lives of my friends, my family, my people, all who were once on my side have faded. Nevertheless, I have always been victorious. Such is the power of the Emperor Dice. And Ziggy's like, this is stupid. You're stupid. He basically uses his gravity to throw a spaceship at Nero, and Nero looks surprised. And in my mind, he was just like, stupid dice didn't tell me he was going to throw a spaceship at me. <laughs> and then Ziggy punches him in the face. And I'd like to think Nero is just like, the dice said you were going to punch me in the face. You didn't punch me in the face. The, I, the dice said I should throw my face into your punch. It will guarantee you my victory. Um, They have a conflict. They they clash. Uh, Nero just keeps doing the greater the price, the more certain the victory. Today, I will lose my empire, but that is the price I must pay to kill you. And there's a big aura surrounding his fist. And Ziggy has lost, like, part of his face. It's just like, when did you get behind me? Were you hiding your Aether Gear's power? And then we cut away. Uh, back yep. to Nero 66, where Shura and Shiki are fighting. And Shura is just continuing his, yeah, I'm so excited that I get to kill everybody. Shiki's like, but that's your dad. He's like, no. Uh, he has a lucky charm to promise his absolute victory. But I'm going to kill all of them. I don't care. Uh... There is a moment of Shiki being like, how can you treat life so lightly? And he's like, it is light, aside from mine anyway. And Shiki's like, no, it's not. Every life carries victory. So Shura summons all of the panels from the floor and tries to smack Shiki with it and then just kicks him into the ceiling and launches him upwards. Um, there's kind of a cool sequence of action as he like kind of gets shot up through the floors and like slides against a wall at one point. But sure, eventually he's just like, what about me? Does my life carry weight in your mind? I did a lot of damage to that robot of yours. And then I don't know why his cheeks puff out as he talks very excitedly 
about how he wanted to treat her as his pet and give her walkies if there had been more time. Um, and shove a bomb up a bus. I just like, it's like going to see a Metallica show and they don't play Enter the Sandman. Like, what the fuck, dude? Play the goddamn song everyone wants you to fucking play at this point. I can't believe he didn't say a bomb in the rectum line. Real big bummer. Also, I don't know why his cheeks now are... Now let's all watch the anti-Napster video we made in 2000. <laughs> We're going to close the show off with that. Like, they start playing the bass line. And then it suddenly cuts, and you have to watch all their anti-Napster propaganda. <laughs> like, Napster isn't even around anymore. What's the point of this? That's how much we hate Napster! <laughs> this battle was never done. This blood feud will never end with us. Uh, so yeah, his cheeks are puffed out in a scene that I think is meant to make him look comedic and stupid but he's currently winning the fight so you would assume you would want to make him look dramatic and serious in this moment but we don't whatever uh he then immediately turns and looks intimidating because he's like the all link system's gonna activate any minute now and all the robots are gonna die so shiki activates overdrive and dashes up and and punches shura but shura blocks it and he's like oh i didn't know you could overdrive if that's how this is gonna be and then I'll activate my overdrive, and now it's just a boring old fight to the death. And his overdrive form gives him a bunch of tentacles that kind of resemble dreadlocks. Um, I feel like Drac and Joe looked a lot like this, uh, without the tentacle part, but with like giant dreadlocks. Um, I mean, I, the point is that he's supposed to look like his dad. Now yeah. With the tentacles, but I do see your point. Yes. Uh, Nick, what do you feel about this design? At least it's more distinct. There you go. Uh, and then he immediately is like, don't underestimate my gravity. And then Shura does something. It is yeah. not clear what he does. Shiki goes, uh, gah, ugh, and starts bleeding, I think. I don't know if Shura crushed his skull or just gave him a bad migraine or if he shot something into him. It is... Well Let's see if we can figure it out from the sound effect. All right. So there's only one thing I know of that can possibly do make that sound. What's that? Well, I can't tell you because oh, I'll, I'll find I'll find out next week then. That's right. And <laughs> and no matter what the answer is, I'll be like, Nick was right all along. Uh there's a... Uh, so two things I have to say about this chapter. Neither of them good. Um, first is Nero's ability is lazy. It is what's your ability? I win. Okay, mm -hmm. so I just win. That's my power. I win. Uh, I also don't understand how he built an empire when apparently he has to, you know, have a Pyrrhic victory with every victory of his. If he has to give something up every single time that he wins, that doesn't really make sense. You know, how do you actually he wins the, He wins the war, but his his the people around him suffer as a result. He's yes. like King Midas, Nick. Everything turns to gold and all he's left is the food that tastes like ash in his mouth or something like I'm mixing characters at this point. A little bit. But the point is, he's a bad guy. My second point is, this chapter ends on a really weird note because it's not framed in a way of like, oh my god, Shiki's going to lose. It's, what the fuck did Shura do to him? <laughs> what happened? 
people in the chat are saying that they blew up his eyeballs, but it's like I can kind of see that, but it's still so hard to decipher that actually. Because you don't actually like it feels like it should be a much bigger moment when the shot's in silhouette. It's just a shot in his upper forehead, which again, I was like, I mean, if his gravity is that strong, why doesn't he just explode his brain? And uh, also, I mean, like the the after image that we get is not all that impactful. It feels like there should be one more page after this where we just have Shiki just going yeah. or something like that. And there would be, you know, something to leave off the chapter in a very dramatic and um, frightening note. But no, it's just Shiki going, oh, that hurt. Ouch. That's kind of, yeah. 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 It's a interesting kind of end of the chapter and that it feels like there should be a big moment, but it's not really treated very much as such. Uh, and the fight between Ziggy and Nero is, I suppose, more exciting, but is also just very dumb at the same time. Uh, it will always amuse me that Ziggy's character seems to be just finding this entire world and everyone in it to be so obnoxious and annoying. Like every time a character starts to explain something to him that he's just like, this is stupid. This sucks. I hate this. You suck. Everything you're saying is boring to me. Yeah. I mean, he is quickly becoming my favorite character. Oh, yeah. Because he just... <laughs> this is stupid. Everything about this is dumb, and I hate you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you now because you're stupid. All right. Let's move on from there to the Hunter's Guild, Red Hood. We had the dramatic story of Bonkers. <laughs> Big Joe Bonkers. Big Joe Bonkers. As we get chapter number 13, it takes all kinds. And so Velo has just gotten through with listening to Bonkers' backstory. He's just like, hey, we should pass this test to become hunters together. And Grimm says, yeah, you should become a hunter. And was, wait, wait, what? And Portion says, yeah, why not be a hunter? But Grimm brings up the very, you know, kind of obvious point of, look, we just need all types of different people in our, you know, war against werewolves. So we don't just need born heroes in order to help us out. We need all different types of people. We don't need people who are gung-ho hotheads. Uh, we also need people who, you know, will take things more seriously, will be more cautious. And I don't know how the hell you got the idea, but the guild's not looking for heroes. We need people who are strong, fast, smart, the hot-headed, the level-headed. Main character or extra, it doesn't matter. Both are still useful. Everyone in the story's got to talk about stories. Mm -hmm. Because that's how everyone talks. Uh, but she says, like, yeah, join the guild. You'd, you'd fit in well. So Bonker says, are you sure that you know you should be saying that? Aren't you supposed to be, like, testing us? And Grimm's like, Oh, I mean, I'm not going to show partiality or anything to you. I'm going to, you know, kick your ass you know, if I get the chance. By the way, we call the battle to save the Jinmon's town, the 38. Uh, apropos of nothing, this is a whole different conversation based off all the details you delivered, you gave us before. Anyway, Debonair and I were there, and uh, sorry we couldn't save the whole town, and your life was ruined as a result. Yep. Cool. <laughs> anyway, let's fight now. Also, uh, Bonkers starts bringing the point of like, wait a minute, I was a kid back then. You were a hunter back then. So how old are you? Anyway, 
No time for that. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll explain it in four chapters when the series is wrapping up. Yeah. So uh, the fight resumes as Grim try- gets ready to arrest them. She's got the handcuffs ready, so Velo calls out to Bonkers and Portion to enact Plan D. Uh, Grim does some stuff to analyze how strong each of them are. Don't care. So Velo, however, uh, all three of them look like they're going to run, but suddenly Velo makes a U-turn, dashes back into Grim, and deliberately snatches his hands into the handcuffs around her so that he's wrapped around her waist. And so... He's like, yeah, I'm going to distract you and weigh you down and hold you. And Grim just starts running while he's dangling around her waist because she is literally twice his size. So, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, Portion tosses a grappling hook-ish thing, which uh, snags Velo around the ankle. And then Bonkers grabs her and they dive out the window and they use Grimm as an anchor to swing into a lower deck. Uh, and uh, yeah, they land safely and escape away from her. Hooray. Uh, Velo, of course, is still wrapped around Grimm's waist. So he's been captured again. Oh, well. Uh, Grimm brings it to the point, however, like, hey, you know, I know this is just an exam. But you shouldn't act like this so much out in the field because if you put your life on the line, it's it's just if you put putting your life on the line is different from throwing it away. And that's kind of what you're doing right now. So. Um, portion and bonkers get up on the lower deck. Bonkers checks to make sure the portion's OK. And she brings up the point that, you know, you seem to like ask if people are OK a lot. And bonkers is like, well, yeah, that's normal to do. And Portia's like, yeah, exactly. You know, you're trying to be like this, you know, bad guy. And it clearly doesn't sue you. You're like a decent person. So quit trying to act like an asshole. And Bonkers is like, oh, sniffle. Yeah, he says sniffle. Well, he doesn't say sniffle. That'd be funny if he said sniffle, though. Sniffle. (laughs) Sniffle, sniffle. He's just starved for fucking. Uh, You know what? Maybe, maybe. Fuck you, actually. Yeah. You know what? Maybe a guy named Big Joe Bonkers wasn't meant to be my friend after all. Yeah, but it's not my given name. <laughs> yeah, that's the name you're going by, and I'm still judging you by. <laughs> Bello is carted back to jail. The uh, young guard guy greets him again. Uh, but it turns out that there are more and more people who are joining up into Velo's plan. Uh, partially because... but. Uh, and the guard thinks that that's the case because less, not too many people have actually been captured. But it turns out that's not the only thing that's going on. It's also that Grimm's been knocking out people uh, because, you know, they're also so they're out of commission and not able to work against her, even though they're not in the jail cell. Uh, we go to the coal storage where Debonair has come across the hiding place of Tilty and Milty. And uh, she's like, oh, hey, right. I can't use my heat in here. This is a pretty good hiding place. But even without my heat, I'm no slash when it comes to physical strength. Uh, Bonkers appears and he shouts out to Tilty. And uh, Bonkers is joined by a whole crowd of people who are going to try and use superior numbers to overwhelm her. Uh, Debonair is like, "Okay, well, I've got to use my fire a little bit. So she summons a little bit of it, but apparently not enough to light all of the charcoal, I guess, uh, as she's starting to fight people off. Uh, while that's going on, 
uh, Tilty shouts out to Bonkers like, hey, what the hell are you doing here? And Bonkers says, I'm here to recruit you. You should help me rescue Velo. And Tilty says, I already said no to that. And Bonkers says, come on. Do it. I'll be your friend. But what he actually says is, hey, I know what happened to you last time. When that last exam, you and your crew undermined each other and you wound up failing. And uh, I know that that's really affected your ability to trust other people. And hey, I was there because I was getting my free food and board. Uh, but, well, I mean, I did let all that happen to you. Uh, and I just kind of like turned my back on you and didn't really help out. So sorry. But, uh, well, he doesn't say that. But, uh, <laughs> but he says, Big Joe right. doesn't apologize. It's not a very good thing to do. Yeah, because I'm a bad guy. Don't apologize. I'm the bad guy. Boo. Bad guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but don't tell anybody I'm a super tough intimidating bad guy uh, and so Bonkers says listen I know that I was really really hard to work with until this chapter but <laughs> no I'm the voice of reason and the really encouraging guy so uh, look I'm, I'm the level headed member of your team now so he says, look, I understand that trusting people is scary uh, because, you know, he, and the, the possibility of being betrayed is scary. So you act all standoffish to make sure nobody gets close until he's like, you don't know anything about me. But Bon Bonker says, no, no, I do know, because that's the way I was, too. And in the end, the one guy I trust least is myself. Even if you don't trust anyone else, there is one guy who trusts you. And so he thinks to himself, I get an Alvello. This is what it must have felt like for you. Do nothing but stare back at the past, and you'll wind up wasting your life like I did. But there's still time to change. People still have faith in you. So help us, and let us help you. Our goal is to let everybody pass. Yeah. Encouraging speech from Big Joe Bonkers. It's a big it's a bonkers tradition. That's what he does. He drops off good speeches. Uh, even though he's the bad guy. Uh, I have honestly very little thoughts about this chapter. I do like that we're slowly getting more characterization to what is presumably going to be the main cast of characters like Bonkers and what Portia is her name and, you know, little bits. Mario. Yeah. So I do appreciate that. Um, I think this series, though, may have already hit the point of I know this is going to be ending soon, most likely. So my interest has kind of flopped uh, in a way to protect myself from it. Like, I don't particularly have a ton of affection for this series, but it's hard to really get invested when I'm like, yeah, I, I think in like two months, though, this thing's already going to be gone. So, yeah, I, uh, I kind of feel the same, um, although I feel as though the lack of interest in it is less deliberate on my part. I think that that was something that I kind of or at the very least it is now. I think I kind of came to terms with that two months ago. Uh, <laughs> and so I've just kind of been writing it out since. So, But uh, yeah, I um, don't really have a whole lot of interest in this. It is kind of weird to see the turns that it is taken in terms of who's getting focused on. And eh, I, I mean, if there were a character that I would be like actually properly interested in, um, I guess that it is our fungus friend guy because yeah. it's weird, but um, 
that's really about it. And he wasn't in this chapter, so. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like the way they're building up those side characters. It's just one of those things of, I don't think this series is, it, the exam's going to end, or all going to pass, and I feel like the chapter of the series is going to end, or something like that. Like, I, I don't think we're going to get to see those characters go on more adventures, so it's like, oh, I'm not going to really get super invested. Not like the series that is definitely going to keep running, Nick. I mean, it's not time to talk about that yet, but is it not? All right, yeah, Maga, Maga Chance technically still right. under recap. <laughs> you just <laughs> part of you just blocks it out still. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's, it's clearly been canceled. Yeah, right? it's, it's gone, right? It's just that every week I just see six panels of the Putaku doing something cool, and that's it, right? <laughs> Maga Chan, God of Destruction, Chapter Sixty One: A Destructive Luncheon. Uh. This chapter features all of the uh, gods that have appeared thus far in their little chibi forms, including Muscar, which means we get a colorful chibi Muscar uh, for the first time in color. So. All right. Uh, Yeah. We begin at Ruru's home. She has just made a Maguchan themed bento. And oh, doesn't look doesn't it look all delightful and nicely themed and stuff with the eyes and the takoyaki looking stuff. Not takoyaki, octopus things though. Probably not actually takoyaki. Uh so Magu looks at it after she's like, "Hey, look, it looks like you, right?" And of course, he he misinterprets what it is because he's Maguchan and he has the mind of a child. And so he's like, it is a sacred carving in my image. And so he thinks this is great, of course. And uh, Magu just, uh, Ruru rather explains to Magu that uh, the the crew decided to all bring in their own lunches today. So she's like, yeah, you know, I, I have a hard time waking up early. So I decided to make it the night before so that I can go to bed. And so she goes to do that while Magu is playing Switch because, of course, uh, <laughs> He didn't destroy it, so that's actually a pretty good sign of progress for him. That is true. He's, he actually it does just seem to be playing the game properly. So, uh, but Ruru has a really difficult time waking up the next uh, the next uh, day, and she's going to be late for 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 school. Uh, she does not put a piece of toast in her mouth, so I will give this series all the credit in the world for avoiding that. <laughs> uh, however, she does leave her bento behind. Uh oh. Uh oh. Magu sees this and is just like, oh, that foolish, lowly human. Uh, Ruru makes it makes it ho- uh, to school in time, but she, uh-oh, she forgot her lunch and she realizes it. And she's so disturbed by this that her soul starts to leave her body because... That's a real reality. I, I would do that, you know? Yeah, not like... That's gonna, that's gonna suck going that long without food when you're, you know, a kid like that. Yeah. But... Fortunately, Magu is on the case, and he decides to hand-deliver Ruru's lunch in a box, which, the way that he refers to the lunchbox is great every time, because it's just done in a very Magu way. Uh, he does very quickly say a quick th- say a thing to explain why BS is not in this chapter, which is that he has to be gentle with the lunch, and BS would, you know, run to... Uh, hard basically it starts to rain so magu takes an umbrella form in order to protect the box lunch and immediately realizes wait a minute i can't move like this though how will i deliver the lunch so uh he 
quickly moves the lunch under uh, some shelter at a bus stop. And he thinks to himself, I could destroy the rain clouds. <laughs> but uh, that would leave him with no stamina, so he couldn't uh, deliver the lunch after that. So, hey, we can't do that. Muscar shows up, tries to mock Magu, of course. Uh, I love Magu's reaction when he's like, ah, Magwinuk, today is the day I shall take you with me. Oh, it's you, Muscar. <laughs> doesn't care about him anymore. Hey, stop. I was a big threat for a while. I don't remember that. I really don't. <laughs> uh, but Maga realizes that, hey, Muscar's got the fate uh, adjustment thing so he can get rid of the rain that way. And Muscar is like, oh, oh, you're relying on me. Yes, of course I can do such a simple thing. Now, now that you're relying on my ability, together acknowledge me. That. Where did he go? And he just... <laughs> Uh, Magu catches a ride on the next bus to get a quick shortcut into town. And so he believes that he will be at the school shortly. But, oh no, there's construction going on. And there is a jackhammer, sorry, an enshrouded being who bores into the earth in his way that is causing all sorts of vibrations. And he decides that this will damage the lunch if he gets close. So he's got to take a roundabout way. And he bumps into Nabutaku! <gasps> Babutaku! <laughs> Sounded like a two year old thing. Babutaku! My favorite character! Nabutaku gets upset at Magu for bumping into him. And immediately Magu is just like, Be gone! And he's going to blow him up for bumping into him. But uh, instead, Nabutaku changes gears and is just like, what's going on? Why are you here? Where are you going? What's going on? And he starts like, he just like, what's weird is he starts asking those questions and then doesn't wait for an answer and just starts talking about what he's doing instead. Because he's the best character and I care about what he's doing. He just said, hey, I'm all about trying food from different places now. And there's these things called croquettes, which are cheap and delicious. He's so happy. He's just chomping down on some croquettes. Uh, So Nabutaku asks one more question, however, that Magu does see fit to answer, which is, what's that thing on your head? And Magu says, it is a lunch in a box, a masterpiece created by my disciple. And oh, no. He said it's food, and is all about food. Nabutaku wants to see. He definitely doesn't want to eat it himself. Oh, he tries to eat it himself. Never mind. Uh, so Magu blasts him away with his eye beams. Uh, but this, of course, brings up the problem that he had brought up before, which is that he's expent energy on having to use his eye beams, and so he's left without stamina. He's dragging himself across the road, thinking, okay, the school is just ahead. She is waiting for me just ahead. Wait a minute, where am I? And oh no, Magu got lost. Aww. So he looks around and realizes that he has taken a wrong turn, and he happens to see uh, over a fence that the school is like on the uh, down on in the valley below the hill that he is on. So he's thinking, I I I do not have the time to reach it in this small form. Wait. Offerings with which to replenish my flesh are right here. If I eat the food, my body will temporarily be able to recover enough to launch me into the sky. If I just eat her boxed lunch. But oh, he 
things about how proud Ru was of making the lunch. And so he gets an idea and he starts to unwrap the boxed lunch. And then we cut to Ruru. And Ruru, of course, is hungry and uh, she doesn't have her lunch. Uh, and Ren's like, oh, hey, well, I'll split my lunch with you. Uh, and Ruru apologizes. And Izma says, I'll split mine with you too. I've got plenty. And we cut over to his bento, which is just wrapped around this this giant slab of meat. It's a giant piece of meat with a bone sticking through it that's been like rubber band around a bento. It might be the funniest thing Dunedars is responsible for, honestly. She didn't directly say it, but she did make it. So maybe, maybe it's all turnaround for her. But even so, even though she's got her boys who are willing to help her out because she's got good friends... She's really upset because she spent all that time making her Maguchan bento. But then Yzma senses an evil presence. And everyone looks out the window towards the horizon where Magu is coming. He has crafted himself into a helicopter slash parachute for the bento to carry it across the valley and deliver it by air to Ruru. Uh, and then immediately he completely melts apart and is exhausted. Uh, and he just says, you forgot something, foolish human. Uh, and Rue, of course, is very touched that Magu brought her her boxed lunch. Uh, and uh, so she says, oh, you went through all this trouble for me. And Magu says, no, it was not for you. This boxed lunch captures my power in its relief, and I delivered it to you. And then he opens up the bento, and it's been completely destroyed <gasps> after all of the different travels that he was on. And so he is completely distraught because oh, my magnificent portrait has been destroyed. But Rue doesn't care, and she just starts digging in and says, Ah, oh, thanks for bringing it. It's the best boxed lunch ever. And Mago is confused by this because this appearance did not matter. Oh, well, <laughs> as long as my disciple is pleased, then I suppose I can live with there you go. This is a sweet little chapter. Uh, nice little twist on the uh, first errand tradition that you sometimes see represented in uh, stories, especially slice of life stuff like this. Um, and hey, it featured minimal uh, Uneris, and she was actually funny. So hey, was this the best Uneris chapter ever? <laughs> I gotta say, with that logic. Now, Nick. What's going on? What is my favorite piece of lingerie? Is it a boo No, stupid. It's the gartergoyle. But okay. boo is pretty good to gartergoyle. Gargoyle. Gartergoyle. Oh, okay. No, you got it. Ravish me in praise. Ravish you in praise? Ravish, whatever. You just gotta like get up on you. It's like, oh, you're so good. <laughs> that works too. Whatever. Make a spook master general feel good. God. I worked so hard on that one. Uh, all right, we've done the pun. Okay. <laughs> all right, now let's talk about Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, chapter three, Dadamon battle. <laughs> yes. Um. Man. Okay. So, uh, last chapter, Lucky found out that his mom oh, uh, doesn't have very much time to live. And also, he was proposed 
dot dumb sensei to try and become his students by getting in a playing contest with Furusu on the piano. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he didn't actually bring up this the stuff that he had learned about his mom to his mom because he just wanted to, you know, keep talking with her and not upset her and all that stuff. Uh, their task between Furusu and Lucky is to play Pavane por un infante defunte. I did not pronounce that correctly because I don't know fucking French. Uh, and it's a very complex piece, I guess, and Lucky because Lucky doesn't seem to understand it at all. And he's like, oh, my God, if I can't play this any better than Furusu, then I'm not going to, you know, have this teacher help me out and I'm going to get kicked out of school and I'm not going to be able to become a pianist. I can't let that happen. Uh, but he also is like, I mean, Furusu's really good. How am I going to beat her? Uh, he then stumbles across Furusu, who is just sleeping outside by a tree. Although she took the trouble to put up a little sign on the tree that said, do not disturb. So she plans ahead, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh he goes into the library to try and study, uh, and uh, he comes across um, a magazine, I guess. Uh, wait, no, it's the school bulletin, I guess. Okay. Uh, and there is a girl who is being interviewed, and, he, and Lucky comments, what's this interview? Oh, I know her. She plays the keyboard for that really popular band. <laughs> the least possible information given by this bit of exposition <laughs> oh i know her she plays the keyboard for that popular band well don't you worry nick because clunky exposition is rare in this chapter i'll tell you that uh but also she went to this school so i guess she's no longer a student there but she was interviewed by the school because she was alumnus i guess anyway so one of the questions just so happens to be, what do you feel when you play Pavane, the piece that Furusu and Lucky have to play? And she answers, Pavane is a nostalgic piece for me. It's not about a dead princess. It's about a wistful princess. I always play this piece as the queen, and I feel melancholy and lonely. Uh, and so Lucky goes, wow, that's what she's thinking when she plays that piece. Yes. That is what was just established by yeah. the interview. <laughs> that was the question that she answered. Wow, I read the whole page. <laughs> Good me. <laughs> I mean. uh, I'm the best. He doesn't like he's not, doesn't he practice piano? He just goes home and starts taking a nap. They're just like, wait, no, you have a piano recital coming up. Like, huh? No, I read the whole page. Oh, boy. So, but this makes Lucky think, okay, well, what do I think about when I play? And he just says, well, whenever I play the piano, I'm just thinking about, you know, playing for my mom. Uh, I never change what I'm thinking about. I only imagine my mom listening to me. And then he goes, am I a mama's boy? Which he didn't need to bring up because, you know, that's kind of like directing the audience to think the worst of him by saying that, you know, your mom's in the hospital, dude. You can care about her without worrying about what people he's, will think. He's of you. having grief, you know. He's the only kid. Like his parents had a divorce. He's the only kid taken by the mom. There's going to be a part of him that deep down has self consciousness about being the mama's boy. Yes. Uh, he then tries to look up variations of "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." I guess I'm not sure exactly what is going on. Uh. 
with this possibly because I don't freaking know anything enough about music and piano music to understand what the fuck is going on. But <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I know nothing about music, but he's going to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Because that's 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 a song takes people to another place. I guess that the point is that there is a piano arrangement of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which is, oh, shall I tell you, mama? Kind of in French, which is on the piano, which I guess is why it works with that piece, I guess. I don't know. So anyway, the Don Sensei is creeping up on Lucky while he's looking at this stuff. And he's like, yes, you have gotten it. See, there's three steps. You got to think of the essence of the piece. And two, take someone with you. Three, to another place. As opposed to taking someone nowhere. That's really two steps, but I made it three. No, no, it's three steps. Step one. Three steps. Think of it. Step two. Take someone. Full stop. Step three. To another place. (laughs) Anyway, when all three steps, you know, the taking, the thinking... And the to another place. <laughs> now that I've given you my three lessons, I will charge you per lesson. And of course I did three, so you owe me $300. And lesson three is just to another place. Again, uh, think of the essence of the piece. Take someone with you to another place. <laughs> it couldn't be simpler. Three steps. Just think of it in the easy uh, uh, mimic sort of uh, cue. Think, take, two. And you'll never forget it. TTT. I almost <laughs> wish there was another. Maybe it'd be better if they were all peas, though, and there were six of them. <laughs> uh, purchase, plan, practice, play, perform, which is different from play. Yes. And profit, which is what I get. <laughs> yeah. Now give me my money. That's $600 for that lesson. Also, you're the seventh piece, so give me another one. (laughs) Just ties it all together. (laughs) Listen, I'm actually very terrible at teaching piano, but I am great at pyramid schemes and ripping off desperate children. (laughs) I bought this whiteboard so I could draw steps on it, and I'm really fucking getting my mileage out of it. Everything to me is a step-by-step process. I actually did not take any form of certification to become a teacher at this school. I just have a lot of dirt on all the other teachers and they let me sit in on all of the the tryouts that happen at the school. Would you like me to explain to you how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Step one, take out the bread. Step two, onto the counter. Step three, (laughs) grab the peanut butter. Step four, from the refrigerator. Unless, step five, unless it's just been purchased and the seal, step six, hasn't been broken yet. Step eight, smear peanut butter. This is a third, this is a four hundred step process. I'm not gonna lie. What about step six and seven? Oh, I forgot. Take, take out the knife. Step seven from the drawer. You keep it in. Step seven, unless you for some reason keep it somewhere different, or you just washed everything but haven't put it. Step eight away. <laughs> step steps. Step 72, pick up the sandwich. Step 73, from the counter. Step 74, bring it. Step 75, to your mouth. <laughs> step 75, E. Step 76, T. <laughs> God. 
that will be everything you own. Okay. We've so. had the most fun with this series we're ever going to have, Nick. Just remember Yay. that. <laughs> that was the most fun with this, this series we're ever going to have. Uh, Dadan Sensei says that if he can do all three, 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 not two of those steps with the piece that he is having him perform, then he could, you know, potentially beat Furusu. Uh, and he says, hey, you know, if you can do that with the Pavane, you know, this is a miracle made possible because Gakuan Otogami abandoned you and your mother. So you should cherish that. <laughs> you should cherish the fact that your dad hated you. It's a <laughs> gift when you think about it. God. Uh, Lucky just it doesn't take any offense to this. He's just shocked that Dadan knows all this. And he's like, well, yeah, it's because the image that you broadcast when you play that piece. Yeah. Uh, when I look at you and the kids, uh, yeah, I can see the entire Otogami family that way. Anyway, it's like I can look into your past and find out all your personal information <laughs> when you think about it. Just slide that all in. So there's a really, really, really weird moment here. And that's saying something for this chapter of this series, which is so Dadan essentially just kind of recaps Lucky's life. And then Lucky goes, huh? Oh, that's right. He he's one against my dad or something. <laughs> Okay. So Lucky wants to know more, but Don's like, no, 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 no. That's for a future chapter. <laughs> we'll have that down the line. We got we to gotta pep rat a little bait to get you on the hook, my little fishies. Yeah. So Lucky uh, thinks to himself, I don't know what he meant. But then, oh, he overhears some music coming from another room. It's a really complex piece called Mazepa. And so he goes into the room and, hey, it's Furusu playing. And, there, you know, there is actually kind of a cool visual of Furusu playing because she's like going bling and all the sound is blasting out of her. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, Furusu sees them kind of spying and she just kind of doesn't even really give Lucky a second look or even greet him in any way. She just walks out past him while Lucky is left awestruck and thinking, shit, I don't think I can win. Oh, man, what am I going to do? And so he wanders to a freaking convenience store later on. This thinking, shit, what am I going to do? How am I going to possibly win? He goes to purchase something. And oh, hey, Furusu works there. And she rings him up. And uh, so uh, <laughs> Furusu immediately concludes that Lucky is stalking her and that and as a way to get inside her head and beat her, I guess. And Lucky's just like, so you work here, huh? And Furusu says that actually... She has two jobs. She also works at the supermarket, which is because uh, she's poor and she's got to uh, do this in order to, you know, go to super fancy schmancy music school. And uh, on exact cue, her mom comes in to give you the rest of her backstory. Yep. Uh, well, no, she comes in and is just like, yeah, I'm going to go hang with my boyfriend later with this Balo wine brand wine. Yeah, it's yeah. good stuff. So and she leaves and then for Lucky's like, is that your mom? Because clearly it is because she looks identical to you. And first says, yes, she used to be a pianist. That is until she lost a girl. <laughs> It's hey, such honestly, a weird line. Hang on, you wanted that candy bar, right? Here, here, here's your exposition to go with. It. 
By the way, let me explain how my mom uh, lost in a competition to the undisputed best ever and was disgraced and marred from the community ever- forever afterwards. You went 27 and 1. And because of that, get out! Yeah, but he was like, you know, the greatest pianist of our time. He's like, get out! Loser! Na 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 na. It's a room full of just one person, but he's still there. Na 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 na. Hey, hey, hey! You're now poor! <laughs> and there's a little bit of a. I guess Fugersu still doesn't still thinks the world of her mom even though her mom doesn't seem to like be very helpful right now considering she's like hey i'm gonna go get drunk and hang out with my boyfriend and you're clearly going to be making dinner in the household considering that it's that considering that i said i won't need dinner uh but first it says she was a great mother so maybe she just loves her that much that she's kind of blind to her faults Mm. maybe she was great and now you know she's fallen on hard times she's not so great anymore that's relatable Yes. Your parents are people, too. They fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Furusu says, if Otogami didn't exist, this wouldn't have happened. And I'm determined to learn from Dada-sensei and defeat Otogami. And you are not even a worthy enemy. I can never lose playing such a simple piece of music. So Lucky's like, so this is revenge for your mother. I listened for the whole conversation. Going to bed now. <laughs> All right. Good night, night. Uh, Furusu confirms this, but she says, I just want to get things back to the way they were before. Back to when my mother would gently pat me on the head after I played her music. Yep. So that's what she wants. Lucky is left with this to think about. And as it comes to the day of the battle. And so he's like, yeah, I've got to win this. But I'm also worried about Furusu. And I want her wish to come true. T- but I have my wish. And then he realizes something that he can do. I guess, like, an hour tops before this competition goes down, he figures out what he should do. He puts all of the pieces of the three-piece puzzle together. Two-piece puzzle, sorry. It's just that, you know, he thinks that it's three because of what Dada said. Anyway. He stops midway. So, he starts taking her, and then he's like, where do I take her? Where do I take her? Oh, right. T, T, T. To another place. Uh, he has like kind of on his fingers. <laughs> yeah, he has them tattooed onto his fingers. Think, take, top. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Think, take, toenail. Huh. <laughs> That's clearly not a toenail. That's on my finger. I don't know. All right. So he's like, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll try. So he starts playing the piece, and immediately first is like, oh, he's playing it shit. And it's not like this Boo! You suck! She starts hackling him. You suck! Boo! So she's like, you know, it's more like this. It's more like this. And, but then, uh, as Lucky gets more into it, he he manages to realize the image. And Furusu suddenly envisions herself sitting at the piano while her mom is sitting next to her and patting her on the head and congratulating her and doing a good job playing. It's like, oh, isn't that a nice little thing? He br- he gave that to her. Uh, and so she is shocked by this. And she's like, oh, my God, like, my mother was here. And she patted me on the head. Uh, Dada sensei is like, yeah, isn't his performance interesting? And first, he's just kind of shocked by this. And so she just starts to leave the room. And she's like, what? No, it's creepy. <laughs> Close the door. <laughs> um, 
And so she runs off and she's, you know, recovering from what she just experienced. Lucky runs after her and he says, um, I think I did something wrong. But first he just says, it was real. It was real for an instant. She turns and says, thank you. You're a piano playing Grant's wishes. And I'm sorry I disrespected you. Uh, then Dada Sensei is like, hey, first, you've got to still play too. He just says, uh, oh, unless you're like surrendering. Well, I want you to play anyway, because you're both going to be my students, because this was all part of my three-step plan. Step one, say that you're going to be competing against each other to be my one student. Step two, make both of you. Step three, my students. So, <laughs> yes. Guy's he's going to make so much money with these lessons. <laughs> now he's going to get them from two people. Yeah. Um, Sick. Well, he gets it, it doubles because it's different lessons for different people. <laughs> no, it actually triples because there's two, so that means there's three of them. <laughs> mm, he counts himself sometimes too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's three of us in this room, right? So I get paid by three people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then he reveals that the next thing is that uh, they're going to go to Sendai because they're going to have Lucky uh, compete against one of his brothers uh, and defeat him so that they can continue this plan because the series is apparently Kuroko no Basuke now. So. Yeah. Uh, so the only way for Lucky to achieve his dreams is to start getting in the zone, which of course is shown by the visuals of falling into an ocean and opening a door, which by the way, when he opens simultaneously, every other good basketball player in the region feels it. They feel that he's gotten that good. And then uh, the one dude tries to stab his eyes out. It's fucking, it's a good time. <laughs> so you may recall that we were saying about the last couple of chapters that uh, the series seems to have pacing problems. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to reiterate that. However, in the opposite sense for this chapter, in the same way that the previous two chapters probably should have just been the first chapter, this one chapter really probably should have been two chapters so that you could have like actual buildup of what was going on and the reveal of what Lucky could accomplish and really actually lean into the, hey, this is a big accomplishment for him. It's not just that he can do this one piece very well. It's that he can actually potentially apply this ability to everything else. And hey, this could be his way of becoming a great pianist or at least a good enough one to, you know, make his mom proud. And no one that be nice if he actually and also this plays into what the dynamic between him and Furusu was going to be like. It establishes more of her backstory and stuff. There's a lot of stuff here that goes on that I think would be interesting if we had had time to appreciate literally any of it. Mm -hmm. Because it's all crammed into 20 pages and it goes by instantly. And it feels like nothing ever sinks in. And I really feel like this should have been two chapters instead of just the one. Well, we got to pick up the pace, Nick, because the series may not be long for the world. Now, look, it's too early to say, but uh, the series is dog shit, so I don't think it's going to last particularly long. Uh, I want to honestly kind of like the series, uh, but I think it is going to be hung up for one major reason. Can't fucking hear it. I don't. All of the emotional stakes, the idea that he is playing this in such a way that it, it reminds her nostalgically of what it's like to be playing, like starting your first lessons with your mother and like the, the nurturing that would come along with that. 
could be effective, but you can't hear it, so you don't get to experience it that way. And the art's not particularly grandiose enough for it to really hit home when those moments happen. And I think without that, just the series is never going to get off the ground. That's that's your major hook, and it it just doesn't work. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's an issue that uh, any manga that is about music predominantly is going to have to deal with in some form or another. Some handle it more smoothly than others, and this I do not think thus far has handled it very well. Uh, I have a question unrelated. Uh, what's the, what's that uh, thing next to you right now? I don't recognize it. Oh, that's the Vito and the Bank briefcase. Are you sure? It's wearing a striped hat. I assumed it was the Suit Master General case or something like that. Uh, it, it could be the Spook Master Vito and the Bank. Okay. As long as you don't get two uh, Vitos, though. No, no, just one. Oh. Maybe it's... What if it, like, starts talking, like, Nick, you should pick this as your series of the week. Keep it in the recap. So uh, Chris, hold on. So Chris doesn't have to talk about it on M.O.R. I'm not going to do that. All right. Well, I don't want to waste the veto on this. So I guess this is just gone. Pussy. <laughs> I'm saving yeah, it, Nick. I'm going to have to, like, find some way to bait that out of you, because you're just going to keep on helling that over my head. It's just going to, it's, it's, uh, there's going to be something truly awful, and one day, you, you, look, I'm not going to lie. that this series isn't, is too boring to infuriate any of, enough of our audience, like. <laughs> As I said, it's legitimately, the, the, the bit about his stupid steps is the most fun we are probably ever going to have with this series. I don't think it's particularly funny, I don't think it's particularly interesting, it's very evocative of that first chapter where you're like, oh, sometimes be mediocre is okay because you're like special. And then you're like, I guess good luck in 12 chapters or whatever when <laughs> the cancellation <laughs> axe comes down, though. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to waste the veto on this. You you made a mistake, Nick. You should have never let me just add uh, I tell C to the recap. That was the series to use it on. I got it for free. Like a genius. Such a sucker for having, you know, flaming disasters end up on the show, though. Like, what a good content. I know. You're a monster. How dare I? Let's ooh, wait. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles Chapter 80, Mash Burn Dead and the Friendly Card Game. So last time, Lord Abel, Abyss Razor, and Margaret Macaron showed up, and it is announced that they will join Eastern Side. They don't have the qualifications to become the visionary, but they're here to support their school, and it wouldn't be fair otherwise. And one guy with, like, uh, crazy-looking eyes is like, who the hell are you guys? And Margaret's like, oh, you mean us? We're Mashburn Dead's fam. And someone just says, no. And crazy eye guy's like, you're all fam, eh? I like that. And Mash's like, no, we're familiar. We're not fam. And he immediately is like, if you say it's your buddies, then you'll be the first to die. He charges in and uh, Domina reveals his character's name is Galoof. And Margaret casts a spell. It starts ripping Galoof apart. And uh, Margaret has a fucking Vin Diesel moment where she's like, this is the power of family. And Ash is like, we're not related. (laughs) We're not family. Uh, But... (laughs) And, no, 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 you don't confuse anyone. <laughs> yeah, but Galoof also gets some kind of strikes back as Margaret has, like, you know, little slices appear on her. Uh, so she's like, oh, dear, when did that happen? 
Uh, Domina calls Galoof back, saying, You won't walk away from that one unharmed. I'd heard the rumors, but fighting you seems like it might be fun, Margaret says. Uh, and Domino's just like, ooh, but I'm in a class of my own, so I'll let the three of you participate. Big scary auras. Uh, and I mean, like, there's just an announcement, just like, hey, don't decide things on your own. We had, like, a <laughs> tournament set up. Uh, well, I guess since we have to change everything around, the tournament will be held tomorrow in a different venue. Matt's just like, oh, it's not today. So, the, uh, ceremony ends. And, uh, Mash just asks Lord Abel, like, hey, didn't we fight earlier? Why are you helping me? And Lord Abel's like, to repay a debt I owe everyone. Nothing more. Mash's like, repay? Did I loan you money? <laughs> and Lord a uh, Abyss Razor's like, it was more important than money. Mash's like, so, like a cream puff? Like his eyes uh, turning. And then we cut over to all of the boys playing Go Fish. Or Old Maid, rather. And Lord Abel says, Old Maid is perfect for forging bonds of friendship before a fight. Now draw your card. And Dot tries to draw a card from Lord Abel. And uh, Abyss Razor puts a blade to his throat every time he tries to grab any card that's not the Joker from him. Uh, so Dot's like, I hate this game. And then we have to do the joke that one person doesn't have a poker face and it's Mash. Well, of course. And Dot tries to take the card from Mash. Any any card that's not the Joker, he's immediately holding too tight and he can't pull. He's like, I hate this. I hate this game. What are you, a child? And Lance has to scold him, saying, Mash, that's no good. I don't want you to grow up to be someone who cheats. And Mash is like, okay. Uh, so he gets scolded like a child. Yeah. So uh, Abyss Razor comes in saying, this final exam is going to be quite the challenge. The six for Walker are quite strong. Um, but uh, uh focus is ho has like honed them very well. We have to be particularly careful of two people, Domina and then the person with the shark tooth mouth, who is revealed to be Levis Rose Quartz, the bureau chief's son and former student at Easton. And they're like, oh wait, he was an Easton student? Like, yes. He was nearly expelled after killing almost killing a teacher because of the debate. And the teacher himself was an alumni of the Magic Who's Heroes. the best starting Pokemon? Yeah. <laughs> if you say anything but fucking Charmander, I'm going to explode your goddamn kidneys. Actually, I think that for beginners, Bulbasaur's the... <laughs> oh, my kidneys. Uh, we just get more exposition. Yeah, he was a first year. He was a prodigy, but... Uh, no one realized, oh, he had to be transferred to Walkus instead. And then Domina is must be even stronger than Rose Quartz because if he wasn't, how could he command him, basically? And they kind of just reiterate, hey, Walkus has a winning record against us, so we really can't let our guards down here. Uh, and then they just end it by being like, all right, let's play bullshit instead. All right, bullshit sounds more fun. And presumably they just play that because we don't... Re oh, I guess we do cut back to them later. Uh, we cut over, though, as Domina is over there where Innocent Zero is resurrecting still in the tank, doing uh, restorative stuff. And Domina's just like, Father, the wait's not much longer. I'll make your dream a reality. That's why we're born. But you, Cell War, you suck. You accomplish nothing. So... I guess I'm just going to kill you because you're so weak. And uh, presumably Cell War is killed, but we don't actually see it happen. We just see a giant blood spatter. So maybe Cell War shows up to be a hero at some point. Uh, and then the chapter ends, cutting back to the boys. And they just are sitting around a circle going, 
BS, BS, BS. Because that's their favorite character in Mako-chan. Yeah. That's also how you play BS, is just you constantly call it every single yeah. round. I hate yeah. people who do that. <laughs> bullshit, bullshit. All right. Who waits, Nick? Before we get to that point, what is my favorite lunch meat? If you say bologna. Bologna! I thought that was a monster's theme, but it's not. It's something different. It's Baby Elephant Walk. <laughs> but imagine if it was spooky. All right. <laughs> My favorite lunch meat. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 34, Etiquette 1334. Uh, so we begin this chapter uh, with, um, I believe a new character, uh, a messenger uh, named Akazawa Shinzaburo, uh, who is a Shugo working for Takauji in the region. And uh, so he is trying to root out any of the Hojo that are in the area. Uh, uh, ba -da -da -ba -da. Actually, he's not saying this. Rather, it is uh, uh, the weird eye guy, Sawamura, who's, who's Sanamune. I, forget, I keep forgetting his name. I keep forgetting uh, his name. Sadamune is the guy with the eyes. Yes, Sadamune is saying this, but he sends the messenger, Shinzaburo, in order to deliver this message. And so while he is there talking with Yorishige, they're like, oh, we're, they're all making nice. And it's like, oh, ha, ha, and smiling. Ah, look at how formal and good we are. And Tokiyuki is observing all this, and he clearly doesn't really get it because it's like, yeah, I mean, they're squabbling over land, but they're but they're just still observing the proper etiquette. Is this just because they represent the foremost powers in the region? Uh, then the messenger Shinzaburo says, uh, my Lord has one request and points out Tokyuki says, is that Chojumaru? Please send him as the messenger bearing your return gift. And of course, everyone objects because they can't, they can't do that. And Yorishige is like, oh, this puts me in a bad position. Uh, of course, Shinzaburo very knowingly says, or oh, perhaps there is a reason you cannot part with such an <sighs> So the whole thing is like interpreted as if uh, Sadamune is like the teacher of in a classroom with a really, really big head for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> um, who has pointed out the troublemaker. Uh, and so like, oh man, is this a Oh wait, it's a, it's a detective Conan reference. He's done his detective Conan, like pointing out the perpetrator. But again, his head is really big for some reason. I well, cause his eyes are so big. It has to fit the rest of his face. I guess. <laughs> so, uh, Tokyuki. Also canonically, whenever detective Conan catches a criminal, his head grows 700 times its current size. It scales upwards. So that everyone can see the face of the culprit, uh, the detective who brought them down. Yep. And then he says, "Case closed, dickhead." That's uh, Detective Conan's famous one-liner. That's right. As someone who has never read or watched any Detective Conan, I, I watched <laughs> fifteen minutes of an episode once, so I know everything. That's uh, 
an infinite amount more than I have. So, <laughs> Nick, I'm going to inform you everything about Detective Conan. I'll give you little tidbits and pieces right. of knowledge. Detective Conan's killed 16 people. What? <laughs> oh, God. Most of them innocent. But, you know, that's later season stuff. There's a Dark Conan plot line. I thought that was just the Conan O'Brien show. <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. It's 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 yeah. It, Conan eventually goes to uh, a uh, rum making place in Cuba, and has a great bit there. And he hangs out with Jordan Schlansky, his executive producer, and uh, then he says something about the limitations of their women. That's the yeah. other Conan. Yeah, I'm mixing all the Conans together. They're all the same. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, so anyway. This leaves everybody in a bit of a bind because Yoroshige is like, oh man, I can't really refuse, but if I don't refuse, then Tokyuki is going to be sent off into a very, very, very dangerous place. Uh, so fortunately, someone has a solution to this. Ayako raises her hand and says, I can go with him, right? You know, he's, he's, he's too little a kid to go alone. I'll accompany him. Uh, but so... Of course, Shizuburo's like, no, I'm trying to get him alone and isolate away from you. But Ayaka just brings up, like, oh, is it going to borrow your clan if, you know, a mere girl like me tags along? Yeah, okay, fine. You fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shit. Uh, so, hey, Ayaka's coming along for this for this uh, storyline. Hey, an Ayaka that... plot. Uh, and we get this uh, cool visual uh, for the cover page of the story where Ayako and Hokuki are riding on horseback together running away from airborne missiles <laughs> and then an attack helicopter yeah it's terrifying yeah, stuff right. and of course she's just like yay and Tokyuki's the only one who seems to be treating the situation ah! uh so we cut then to Sadamune who is talking with uh Ichizawa I think is his name uh, about, you know, like, oh, man, ever since that kid defeated me last year, he keeps on just showing up at all the crucial moments. Uh, and uh, they've heard tell, of course, of what of who, what the elusive warriors call themselves. And so Sanmuris says, like, wait a minute. So they call themselves elusive? So they're openly proclaiming their subterfuge. <laughs> like, when you put it that way, it's a good point. I mean, when you say it like that, it makes it sound like naming our team was a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he also says that according to reports that he's received, the boy appeared at the shrine last year, which is suspicious timing. And they also bring up he's really refined for the countryside. So, hey, he could be the child of a vassal. He could belong to the Hojo family himself. So got to get him. And I'm going to lure him here and question him. And I'll see through his disguise with my powerful eyesight. It's a good plan. Yeah. Uh. We cut back to uh, Shinano province where Yoroshige is assuring Tokyuki, yeah, you'll be fine with, Ay with Ayako. But uh, Tokyuki is kind of hesitant about this. And she's like, I mean, you know, she's a great fighter, but because eh, his, his image of Ayako to this point is, yeah, but she's kind of, you know, mostly just in the physical department. She's not the brainiest member of their group. Uh, Yoroshige assures him she is more quick-witted than she looks. And Ayako is, meanwhile, practicing with a couple of training dummies, which she's got in a double headlock right now. And she says, hey, if I can't protect you on an errand like this, then I'll never be like Tomoe Gozen. And Tokyuki's like, well, who's that? 
And Yoroshige fills him in and says that it was a military command. Uh, there was a military commander named Yoshinaka. These are both real people, by the way. I looked this up. So this is kind of cool. Uh, well, one of them's real. Tomoe Gozen is more like a folklore figure. People don't know if she was real or not. So, Like Paul Bunyan and the giant ox. Not quite, but yes. Uh, <laughs> Nick, how did the Grand Canyon get made then? If he didn't, I don't know, keep he, it he, the ground a few he, times. Did, he dug it out himself. That's the lore, I believe. That's, right. That's American lore. America has deep lore. That's an America wiki, and you find all sorts of detailed information like that. That's right. You can trust it if it's on any sort of wiki. So, uh, you know, Yoshige fills him in that, yeah, there was this boy named Yoshinaka. And after his family was defeated, he grew up to be a strong conqueror. And Toki's like, oh, that's kind of like my situation. And one of his retainers who grew up with him was Tomo- was Tomoe Gozen, who was a female warrior who protected him. And Ayako was born in this area and she admires the martial arts and so she aspires to be like her you know, she looks up to her and then tokiki's like yeah okay that's great uh, what what's she doing with the training dummies and ayaka says tomoe goes with so strong that she could carry two warriors and rip off their heads and i want to do that too <laughs> face sparkles as she says this and just rips off both heads <laughs> it's such a grandiose thing like, just shooting, like, I don't know why, like, the way it's drawn, like, again, you could just tell that this is by an experienced mangaka who knows how to make a scene like this extremely cool and fun. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I love that her point is just like, yeah, I want to be big and strong so I can rip off people's heads. <laughs> that's honestly, that's fucking goals. I'm proud of her. I go for MVP. She's the best. I mean, I guess I would expect no less from a series that said that if a, that, uh, where a guy said that if his head got chopped off, then he would, you know, crawl up a guy's butthole and eat him from the inside. So, yeah. Yorishige brings up that, of course, uh, Tokyo is going to be questioned. And if he makes a mistake, it could end in great danger. And this is envisioned as a choose your own choice conversation from a video game where one of the choices is just I'm Hojo. Yeah, it's like a visual novel. <laughs> Uh, and so he brings up like, Hey, you know, Yoshinaka was a strong person, a person who was strong in battle, but he wasn't well-bred. He wasn't, he didn't consider others very well in conversation. And so he fell from grace. And this is portrayed as Yoshinaka just shoving a bowl of rice in a guy's mouth, which, okay, that's one way to get people to turn on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoroshige then squishes Tokyuki's head again. He makes another goofy face as a result. It's not quite as good as the previous one when this happened, but it's still pretty, pretty silly. Uh, but he's like, you got to study. You got to study so that you are, you know, well-read and so that you don't uh, evoke any suspicion as Sadamune. Tokiyuki goes with Ayako along with the messenger to go and meet with Sadamune. Uh, Ayako and... <sighs> Ayako and Shinzaburo uh, sit outside the room while Tokiyuki goes in to speak with Sadamune. And so Shinzaburo says to Ayako, hey, so how old are you? Ayako's like, oh, I'm nine. Oh, I was going to invite you to be my mistress. Ew. So I do like that she responds to it with like the dead eyed expression of like, she's probably had to deal with it before. And she's like, this fucking loser. But she has to like play this politically. So she has to like 
do i don't i shouldn't say i liked it as though it's a good thing i just it's a that's slight nuance to the character i guess and mm. i mean if we had to have this scene i'm glad it shows that she's like fucking done with this douchebag and he's probably yeah. going to get his penis ripped off by the end of this i mean the two panels featuring her right there do say a lot while saying very little you know that she put you know the mask comes down very briefly the mask goes up and she's like oh yeah yeah because i'm so big i get mistaken for being older and so yeah um looking forward to seeing more of that very 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 specifically none of the stuff that preceded it please ew so i'm excited for that guy to get his penis ripped off though that's what i'm excited for yeah you know Maybe 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 he can help Ayako achieve her dream or half of it by getting his head ripped off. I want her to I want her to like headlock his cock off. Like I specifically want to like his groin to eject off of his body, and like like a cartoon like it lands in like a piranha's mouth or something like that. Um, and then he gets eaten by the pterodactyls like in the Jurassic Lost World. That like one woman they start ripping him apart. Okay. Tokiyuki approaches Sadamune and is like, oh man, he's really forbidding, but I'm not going to give in. He's always up to no good, but I am a Hojo and I must uphold the name of Sua Grand Shrine, so I won't let him insult me. And so he sits down really, really forcefully into a cross-legged position. And Sadamune just immediately says, correct your posture. Show respect for others. And he's basically instructing him like, you're sitting wrong, sit in, sit in Seiza. You are insolent right now because you face your enemy, but that is wrong. Opponents must show respect for the life they would take. This makes, like, I think does more to establish Sadamune's character as, like, an actual character and not just a guy with creepy eyes than anything we've seen from him so far. I mean, I do like that we are slowly digging into this character and establishing who he is in like a larger way like this is a guy who was kind of just like the goofy not goofy but like the very kind of one note antagonist has big eyes sees everything but we're slowly starting to see there's a little bit more to him than that and i do appreciate that i mean the series has only been running for 34 chapters but it feels like we've spent a lot of time with sadabune so far so mm. these moments where we see him get a little bit more intimidating are pretty well appreciated i mean he's been the background antagonist since like chapter four or something like that. Yeah. While but while back, so um and so it's we are given the, you know, background information that in this time usually men and women would sit basically similar to how Tokiyuki sat, but the Seiza style became common in the Edo period based on rules of etiquette. And so the man before Tokiyuki is accomplished in literary and military arts. And so Tokiyuki has essentially made the first mistake. So he corrects his posture and sits Seiza and realizes, okay, right now I've insulted him, so I've got to correct that. We are engaged in verbal battle. So I must evade with words or his words will pierce me. Which, if you're not into talking, don't worry this is conveyed by Sadamune taking the form of a Sagittarius with one eye for its entire face and a mouth in its belly. <laughs> and it's winged, by the way. Uh, I guess Sagittarius is always winged. No, centaurs aren't always winged. Sagittarius is, I believe, just an archer 
centaur. Yeah. So I, did, I believe it's not always winged. So. Uh, this looks like something you'd fight in Persona, and I probably have. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking terrifying, but it is a great way to add tension to a scene, which is like, yeah, we're going to talk, and if it goes badly, I'll probably be killed, which like is a way to draw tension, but it's not a visually exciting way to end the chapter. So it is a great call to just draw this fucking horrifying imagery of an arrow being pointed at him by just a fucking monster. I don't know why it's the fucking nose part that bothers me so much. The yeah. fact it has a nose there is, is, is very disturbing. I smell through my solar plexus. Yeah. yeah All right. Cool visual. So, and uh, a different sort of uh, problem for Tokyuki to have Tokyuki to have to take on. And hey, Ayaka's getting involved. Yeah. All very positive points. I'm so. very excited for an Ayako arc. Um, I will note now because I guess we should have said earlier, there is no Dr. Stone this week and there's also no Black Clover this week. So we're going to be moving right to the end of the recap then with One Piece. Yes. Well, I'm sorry. One Piece, One Piece, as the chapter title shows us. Yeah, that is weird. Set sail for One Piece, chapter 1027, Danger Beyond Imagining. Uh, so, <laughs> Prospero is down. <laughs> Cat Viper has apparently beaten him. Uh, and so Wanda uh, comes towards him. I think that's Wanda? Or is it one of the... Uh, it's uh, Wanda, Wanda and Carrot both uh, hug him. Yeah, uh, well, Carrot, Carrot hugs him and Wanda is there. Look, Nick, you don't have to remember their name. They're both equally irrelevant minks. <laughs> okay. So uh, they point out like, hey, the moon's out again, which is kind of weird. And uh, Yamato is looking up at the sky. And of course, he thinks, I've read about this. When Roger and Whitebeard met in combat, the heavens split open. So he makes explicit what was implied before, which is how momentous this is. Uh, so... But it's not just the clouds that are parted, of course. Uh, there is other consequence to what is going on. Namely, that there is this huge rumbling going on throughout the island. We then get an explanation for why Yamato is not going to be making this a handicap battle. Uh, which is that uh, he's wounded. And also, um, he's got to make sure that Momonosuke doesn't get you know killed by Kaido. So, uh, um, Luffy uh, says to Yamato to help out Momonosuke. Monosuke, well, he says, help that coward out, specifically, which Monosuke, of course, takes offense to. Um, but Monosuke's like, hey, hey, I know what I have to do, but, you know, people don't change their nature really quickly like that. But Yamato says, hey, come on, we, let's go. I'm sorry about I, that I left your side before. Kaido tries to stop the two of them from leaving, and of course, Monosuke gets scared. Uh, but uh, he gets set to leave and um, runs away as Yamato deflects an attack from Kaido, who is chasing after them. Luffy very inventively grabs Kaido with his legs. I don't know. I guess it leaves his hands free for punching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody, somebody had a great point on Twitter. I forget who it was, but they were like, I love it because Luffy will spend a whole arc building up to a, like one piece will spend a whole arc, like building up to a big bad guy. And then this is like the way fucking Luffy fights him by <laughs> stretching his legs around their neck and i don't know yes. i guess punching them I, I don't know what he's planning to do but so luffy starts to call out to yamato but yamato just says i know you want to take this one on yourself don't you and luffy looks really happy that his new friend understands this about him and uh, so yamato and momonosuke go off and momonosuke is me like oh no i'm falling we're gonna die uh so yamato commands grab this guy 
Those guys are like, what? what? Yeah, dragons don't fly. You create the clouds and then grab them and race through the sky. Cool. All right. All right. <laughs> and uh, so Bobanowski does this, and immediately he starts to get better control. And Yamato explains, yeah, these are flame clouds. This is what dragons use in order to go through the air. Uh, but rubble is falling towards them from above. Yamato is very, very casually deflecting it with his club, but he says you got to get away from the island. Uh, and as they do so, they observe that the island is starting to collapse. And so Yamato concludes that what must be happening is that Kaido's power is weakening. And since it's his power that is holding the island up, that's really bad because Onigashima is basically right on top of the flower capital right now. And it will cause damage if it falls on them. So Momonosuke immediately springs into action. And he's like, I, I can't let this happen. I can't let it get to the flower capital. I've turned big in order to stop this island. But Yamato says, well, that's not going to work. I mean, you, you, there's no time. The capital is so close. We're going to arrive in no more than five minutes. Oh, no, a time limit's been put on this manga anime battle. <laughs> that means we'll be ah! fights. I don't know, by this time next year, I guess. Probably. Uh, so Yamato says that what they can do instead is make more flame clouds. Uh, and that's the only thing that they can do is push it back in even stronger flame clouds. Momonosuke says there's no way he could possibly do that because he only just learned how to fly and he doesn't necessarily have the same power as Kaido. But Yamato says, hey, You've made the flame clouds. I know you can do this. The situation is much more dangerous than we imagined. Even if it settles down on land the way Kaido envisions, there will be terrible losses in the city. And in the worst case, if Kaido should succumb first, the clouds will vanish and Onigashima will plummet to the earth. And also there are explosives on yeah. the island. The island's also, also a giant bomb, essentially. So we'll all die anyway. <laughs> so everyone's going to die if the island falls. Uh... And so Monosuke says, well, then maybe we should stop Luffy. And Yamato just blacks him on the head with his club and says, no, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't tell Luffy to hold back. What are you talking about? That would be bad in so many ways. Um, and, you know, he also brings to the point of just like, look, only Luffy can be Kaido. We can't possibly have him do this. And also, we can't tell him about this. We have to get through this danger without anyone finding out. Okay. Uh, and then we cut away from them to see how Zoro is doing against King, which is to say, not could great. Be better. <laughs> <laughs> King uh, is, I guess, using uh, Devil Fruit, uh, like Beastman kind of ability, but it sort of looks like he's like extending his coat out into blades uh, from the way he's drawn. Uh, and he's just smacking well, he's Zoro. A, he's a pterodactyl. He is a pterodactyl, yes. Uh, he happens to knock Zoro directly into Frankie, who catches him. And Zoro's just like, well, he's strong, all right. Uh, then Frankie says, you want help? Nope, no need. Uh, <laughs> Queen gets upset at King because you sliced my butt. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Apparently, King, however, is really pissed off because Zoro has damaged his mask, uh, which, of course, everyone's like, ah, oh, of course, nobody knows what King's face looks like. 
which could either be very plot important or it could just be a joke. It could be Jin. Now, look, I know the hair color we see at the end is not Jin's hair color. And I know they've already established that King is a different race that Jin was not. But what you're saying is there's a chance. I mean, I guess there was always a chance from the moment he showed up wearing a mask. I'll be honest, Nick. I'm kind of at the point where I think every member of the Toby Ropo could secretly be Jin. Black Maria? Probably Jin. Might be. We don't know Jin became a giant woman later on. With spiders for legs. Yeah, he could have eaten a devil fruit. He didn't have a devil fruit before, so he could have eaten anything. Maybe he ate a devil fruit that made him into a giant spider. Okay, then. Yeah. So... Uh, King flies towards Zoro, and Zoro responds with an attack to which mostly deflects him. It also fucks up King's mask a bit more. It's it kind of cracks it a little bit. Uh, Zoro goes flying through a wall again. King flies in after him and just keeps on pursuing him and smashes into him and smashes him all the way outside of Onigashima, which makes Zoro go, "Hey, uh, wait, wait." <laughs> which is a great response. It's like, hey, "I'll fight you, but stop this." Yeah. Just go, he basically goes for a stage knockout, and Zoro's like, what the fuck? What's fight by like, come on. Let's actually oh, fight. Final destination, come on. Yeah. <laughs> quit edge guarding, asshole. <laughs> so, uh, he uses a two-sword technique to, I guess, um, hit the air and knock himself back onto the island. Because <laughs> he's Zoro and he can do that. Um, and Zoro's really pissed off at King about this, because he's like, hey! If you're going to kill me, at least let me die by the sword. Show some respect. But King turns and looks at Zoro and says, I'd ask the same of you. And through the cracked part of his mask, you can see he's got kind of tannish skin and light colored hair, I guess. Anyway, that's the chapter. Yeah. I, so I'll, I'll say this. Like, this is the most like I care about King monumentally more now than I did, you know, a week ago or whatever, where like I was kind of at the point of like, oh, we got a lot of detail about Queen, but nothing about King really beyond like little teases. But now that we've seen him fight a little bit and seen how strong he is, I'm like, all right, this dude could be kind of dope. I, I could dig this. Um, it's not the and it's it also sets up the stakes of like, hey, what's Mamanosuke going to do in all this? Like, OK, now Mamanosuke has a big plot thing to do and presumably Yamato will be involved helping him with that. So, you know, I, I think everything's moving forward. I, I still don't think we're going to see the end of this arc this year. Uh, but it definitely feels like we're closer to the end than the beginning. Yes, absolutely. Um, obviously, we've got a few different battles to wrap up, but it does seem like, okay, we've narrowed down the stuff that's actually important now that we've gotten rid of, you know, the Topiropo, and we've gotten rid of Prospero, and no, wait. He's still around. Hang on. We got to chop off his heads again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we also, don't forget, we have the ninja fight going on, too. Everyone wants to know who's going to win between Raizo and Fukuryoji or whatever his name is. I completely forgot about that. How could you forget about the ninja fight with two characters I don't care about? Oh, man. Yeah. It's Raizo, uh, the fifth most interesting member of the Scabbards, or probably lower, honestly. I'd have to start thinking lower. about it. Um, yeah, there, there is obviously still a little bit of minor stuff going on, but we have definitely pared down like all the stuff that was happening. There's obviously also the stuff involving Big Mom. Uh, yeah, and, uh, that fight's kill- still going to have to go on. And uh, Killer and uh, Basil Hawkins, I think, yep. too. So, Basil, so there is some yeah. stuff going on, but it's 
narrowing down. So yeah. Um, there. Uh, okay, that is that is it. Uh, I I am I am happy with how this chapter went. It was all right. I kind of fell off a little bit because I'm still having trouble caring about King. Uh, but at least we're heading in the right direction for that. And hey, he was established to be pretty strong, so that's nice at least. Now, an important question, Nick, is uh, what are we going? Oh, I guess we have to do our cap- chapter and MVP of the week first. Yes, uh, we we do have her, as you were going to bring up, decide uh, what we're going to be covering for next week. So if anyone has any last minute uh, votes that they want to cast, look, do it in the chat. I'll look in there, tally up if people want spooky or LGBT pride gay stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, those are the two options, guys. Type spooky or gay stuff. Spooky or. You could just put pride. Pride. <laughs> Spookier pride. That, that makes it easier. <laughs> One sounds way more see. derogatory, like, or just some gay stuff, I guess. We're trying to not get more Carito Prime recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we even get to that, though, I also want to note, guys. You can't have both. Stop <laughs> saying some weird thing that says both. <laughs> uh, I want to note, everybody, that uh, there is a new episode of Monthly Other Recap now up available on our Patreon. You can get that if you have just a dollar pledge. Uh, you can basically listen to me talk about all the newest chapters in the series we don't cover in the recap, as well as Dragon Ball, and I'll be adding in, hopefully, Four Nights of the Apocalypse very soon. And uh, it's an extremely good time. Uh, the last one was super successful. Seems to be uh, a fan favorite, so go make sure to check that out. As I said, only a dollar. Okay, and... Uh... Meanwhile, everyone, thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show here on twitch.tv slash Wednesdays, usually starting around 7.30-ish Eastern time. Uh, we would like to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon and patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, you, you can find out, find monthly at the recap and other bonus stuff that we do on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd also like to uh, say, hey, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can watch other video versions of the podcast on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap, or listen to them in audio version on weekly That also gets put up on Spotify and on iTunes and essentially anywhere the podcasts are available to be listened to. Uh, we would like to expand special thanks to the people who help make the show what it is. Uh, including people in the Discord server who chat about us with the recommendation that we're working on, with the uh, when the recap series come out, the uh, there are biweekly game nights. So uh, if all that any of that sounds good to you, join our community. Uh, it's a great one, and yeah. uh, and you can also use that Discord server to find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i which keeps track of all sorts of helpful information about the show, previous episodes that we've done, recommendations that we've covered, recommendations that we people are currently uh, making to us now, and other helpful stuff like the MVP voting and everything. Yeah, speaking of MVP voting... Let's do that now. Yeah, uh, so my chapter of the week is going to be Undead Unluck, definitely. I think Undead Unluck had a really exciting battle chapter, uh, and it was a ton of fun. It was super brutal. I am going to agree. Yes, I think that it was the most solid chapter that we had all the way in terms of like all the way through. There were bits of pretty much every series that I liked, uh, but in terms of like how it felt all the way through Undead and Luck, I think really ran away with it. Yeah, Uh, I think there's actually a lot of good candidates for MVP this week. 
I feel bad because I'm going to be double dipping, but I think I'm going to give it to Andy. I kind of wish I could give it to Andy and Billy because I think they both looked extremely awesome in this chapter. But I think the visual of Andy ripping off all of his front skin, essentially, <laughs> is such a cool bit. Like, it's hard not to give it to him. Uh, I'm torn whether to give it to Poseidon Nero for his his dice that let him win every battle if he just, you know, gives up something. Or Big Joe Bonkers for being a very inspirational speaker. He's he's right there in our hearts. So I think I'll co- I'll compromise and not give it to either of them. <laughs> um, honestly, I don't feel like I have great choices for MVPs. Um, so honestly, a part of me really is legitimately considering giving it to Dada, to Dada Sensei for the bit we did about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just so at the end of the year, we can look through the MVPs and everything like that and be like, wait, when the fuck did PPPPPPP get a nomination? Yeah. Uh, I do kind of want to give it to Ayako purely for the head ripping off bit, but I feel like her moment is yet to come Mm -hmm. in this little story arc. So I think I'm going to save that for something that is a bit more deserving. And instead, I'm going to give it to Yamato because I really liked the way that he... uh, took control of the situation that he was in and uh you know like i like the way that he bounces off of luffy and it's just like okay well i'm hurt if he wants to fight by himself i'll let him do that hey my son (laughs) (laughs) let's go help out my dragon son let's save the world um the audience by the agreed uh by the way agreed with us with undead unlock as chapter of the week and they voted kikoru from kaiju number eight as their character of the week Hey, Which I can absolutely provide, see. She provided the best part of that chapter. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that the spookies have it in the chat room. So it is we will October. Be a, it, we'll be covering a spooky series for uh, Halloween month uh, next time. So I'll get into that just after I say I want to give special thanks to uh, Milo Jack Stills and Winslow Del Chitter for creating the opening sequence of the video versions of Weekly Manga Recap. And to... Steve Mann, who occasionally does title card work, which you can see on the YouTube channel. And you can check out all of his artwork, which occasionally features boobs and stuff, on Steve Mann Art, his Twitter, and generally many places where people post their art online. So It's good stuff. Okay. So I have no idea how good the series is going to be, but the series that we're going to be talking about... Oh, wait, I've lost the title. Oh. All right. Just need to vamp for a little bit. Fortunately, as professional podcast people, I can do that. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> you didn't vamp at all. Nope. Cut myself off. That's what you do. You cut it. You, you know, you stop when you're at your peak yeah. <laughs> instead of just kind of peak. Did I say peak? I meant monkey peak, which is a series about people lost on an island not an island, a mountain. <laughs> Almost the exact opposite definition of an island. Hey, some volcano. <laughs> something very low to the ground and surrounded on all sides by water versus something as tall as humanly possible and uh, surrounded by land. It's about a group of people who are lost in the mountains and they're being attacked by an evil monkey. <laughs> That's all I know about this series. It was recommended to us by Mulder Man. So. Okay. All right. Well, Mulder Man can be trusted. If not, we'll call it Mulder Man Presents Monkey Peak and we will openly roast Mulder Man on the podcast. And I have a lot of good material because Mulder Man's into some weird shit. So. What? 
yeah. of our community. Some, some weird shit. The devil yeah. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Let's go do it. Now, Nick, before we go, though. I don't know what's going on. Uh, no! <laughs> there we go. On? But Nick, who is my favorite mathematician of all time? Is it Buclid? I don't know who that is. No, Sir Isaac Booton. <laughs> all right, fine. And now we know each other. Ooh. I mean, I'll give it to you because it was a math pun, at least. And there I can't be mad about that. <laughs> oh, my hat fell. It hit the mic. All right. Calculate the high bot, high pot and high high. I Hypotabus of a triangle. It's very hard to change that word. Hypotabus. Trigbunometry. Goodbye, everyone! Algebra. Yeah, it all works. <laughs>